This is Carl from Movie Podcast Weekly, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs> Except Carl doesn't even watch horror movies. <laughs> uh, am I wrong? Am I wrong about no, that? No, 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 but, but you just <laughs> right. blew it. So. Christmas and welcome to Ho Ho Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about Christmas horror movies. Right, Wolfman? Uh, that's correct. <laughs> you hated that. <laughs> well, typically, this is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday. This is episode 107. It is our Christmas horror episode for 2016. And on Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-host so far tonight is... Wolfman Josh. Jay, smell that mountain air. You know what it smells like? <laughs> what? Cancer. <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, well, it is your favorite episode of the year, Josh. How are you feeling about yes. that? Oh, I, you know what? This is the thing that I look forward to all year long. There's a little bit of a lump of coal in my stocking this year because I'm not totally thrilled about our crop of films that we have to discuss compared to years past. We've just covered so many awesome Christmas movies. Part of the problem is the one I was looking forward to talking about the most got pushed back to Christmas 2017. Oh. It's a safe neighborhood. So at least I know next Christmas is going to be a lot of fun. But we've, we've got some good movies tonight, too. Just I think that was the one I was most excited for. Yeah, that can be disappointing. Plus, I mean, it seems like thus far we've already discussed in previous years, maybe some of the <laughs> the favorites of the horror Christmas subgenre. Because yeah. honestly, top tier. yeah, I mean, there aren't that many really like. When, you, when it comes down to it, there aren't a ton of Christmas horror movies. And out of those, even fewer, you know, are, I guess, remarkable or noteworthy. Some of them are kind of bad, but... Yeah. I mean, I like, uh, there are several that I like, and I actually, I like kind of uh, lumping just cold weather movies into this genre, because these are the kinds of things I watch in my winter months. I like to watch as many as I can. And there, there are some others that we have, haven't discussed yet. Even some leftover for next year that I think will be a lot of fun. There's a 80s slasher classic to All a Good Night, which we didn't get around to covering this year. And um, there's a Korean film I really like called Antarctic Journal. And we, we've always been saving that film, The Children, to do like on a Creepy Kids episode. So oh, there are actually quite yeah. a few out there um, that we haven't yet covered. But uh, hopefully we've got a good group here tonight. I think so. And honestly, I think just because of the novelty of the Christmas horror film and, mm -hmm. you know, its seasonal relevance, I think people might still enjoy, I don't know, a, a discussion about them, even if the films aren't super great. That's kind of how I, sure. I think about it. But 
I mean, part of this is I like to be in the Christmas mood. And so a lot of the films, you know, if, I don't know in years past, I've rated the films on their Christmas level as well as rated them on films as, you know, their filmic level. And um, I remember P2 was one that we disagreed about what the level of Christmasiness was in that film um, in a previous season. Yes. It was in 2014 Christmas special. But yeah. uh, So that's something, you know, I like I like a Christmas movie to really work on the Christmas level. You know, that's a film like Krampus, which was one that I wasn't um, – I think it was a little harder on than some of our listeners last Christmas. I've revisited it since. And one thing I like about it is they legitimately try to make it a Christmas movie. I mean, it's not the best Christmas movie. It doesn't hold up to, you know, some of the best in that genre, but it is kind of its own genre, the Christmas movie. And so I like a Christmas horror movie that can exist in both worlds. Those are the ones that I appreciate probably the very most. Yeah. Well, I, and it makes me wonder sometimes is why, aren't there more Christmas horror movies? And I I suspect that it's just because it really seems limiting. Like I think filmmakers maybe worry that the only time their film will be viewed is at Christmas time. But honest to goodness, I kind of think that that gives it some serious legs because there are so few of those. If you make a Christmas horror film, Mm -hmm. especially if you make a good one, then it's going to be watched and talked about every Christmas ever after. I remember when Joe Dante made Gremlins, they were really worried. He said, I don't want this to be a Christmas movie. I want this to just be a good movie. And so they released gremlins in the summertime, uh, as opposed to releasing it at Christmas time because they wanted it to be this big blockbuster, you know, monster movie rather than just a Christmas movie. But I think it is because it's a Christmas movie, like you're saying that it, that's the reason it gets revisited every year and has become this cult classic. I think, I mean, among other reasons, there are other reasons to enjoy the film, but I think, when you have, I mean, look at, uh, you know, to go outside the horror genre, a film like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's a funny enough movie, but there just aren't that many great Thanksgiving movies. And so that's the one on the top of everybody's list, it seems like, every Thanksgiving is. This is the Thanksgiving movie you watch. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can really succeed in doing a good, I mean, you know, the same thing with Halloween. You know, I mean, we a lot of horror films can be watched at Halloween, but people were so excited about Trick or Treat, I think, in part. Because it's just a very Halloween-y film. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree with that 100%. So what is it specifically then that you love so much about Christmas horror? Because honestly, um, and I'll just get a little bit philosophical here for a second. If you think about (laughs) Christmas, I mean, if if one is a Christmas fan, presumably because (laughs) one is a Christian, then it's, it's very bizarre, really to uh, pair horror <laughs> with actual uh, Christmas, you know, with, with Christmas themes mm-hmm. um, surrounding Christianity. And I actually, I have more to talk about that on maybe later. I don't know if we'll actually get to it, but um, that's something that, because I don't want to alienate any of the audience, but actually in the real Christmas story, there was true life, like real horror surrounding that time period. And, um, Maybe we can come back to that. But what is it that you sure. love so much about horror and Christmas as a blend? Well, I think there are a lot of things. Um, like I said, I just love Christmas and I love horror. So just the combination, it's, you know, the chocolate, my peanut butter kind of a thing. I think just the combination of two of my favorite things 
is nice. But you're right. There's something antithetical about the two. But I think that's another reason that it makes it interesting for me. It takes it to the next level. You know, we talk about where are we most vulnerable. Horror happens to those who deserve at least, is something you like to say. You know, we talk about, you know, the the shower scene in Psycho is so effective because it's a place we feel safe. Well, I think Christmas for a lot of people is kind of this warm, cozy, heartwarming holiday. And so to inject yeah. horror into that has a really... Uh, you know, it, it's alarming. It's a shock to our system, I think. Yeah, that's, I like that. That's a very good point because it's a very strong effect. It's like, um, you know, it's a time of peace. It's a time mm-hmm. of goodwill. I mean, people mm-hmm. are uh, typically, I mean, they're more generous and kind and gentle with one another. And so, yeah, when you have a killer or horror events happening, then, yeah, that's very strong stuff. So uh, that's a great point, Josh. I like that. Yeah, and sometimes the the Christmas horror film and oftentimes it goes the exact 180 degrees of what we would expect from Christmas, which is to have a cold blooded killer. Other times though, we have characters within the story who kind of embody the Christmas spirit and band together and stand for something good against the evil. And I think that's interesting too. Um, you know, and that, that is a fun genre blend to me between the Christmas movie and the, in the Christmas horror film. Okay. I just like the aesthetic. So, you know, we've talked also a lot about Christmas and era horror in the snow is fun to look at. And I, and I think the cold is just a great, um, physical attribute. That is something that can be very effective in horror. Just being cold as we'll talk about, uh, you know, later tonight again is just something that in and of itself is scary and can be life threatening. And so I think that's another thing that I really like about these films as well. I'm with you 100%. Well, that's exciting. I'm glad we we didn't even plan to have a little concept discussion about it, but it is kind of a fascinating thing. And I could see, uh, you know, like a Kyle Bishop type of uh, paper written about this one of these (laughs) days and... Well, we've talked about this in different versions in years past on our Christmas episodes. And one thing that I brought up in passing once before that I think is true and someday we can delve all the way into is one of the most famous Christmas stories is, of course, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And that is, you know, one of those, as the song says, scary ghost stories that why do we expect those at this time of year? I think that is that is one that has stood out amongst the many as one that's become real, a real classic and also, like I said, kind of embodies the spirit of Christmas while dealing with the mortality and damnation of the central character in the film. So I don't know. Uh-huh. I think that's another thing that I think is really cool. Yeah, it's definitely a ghost story, that one. <laughs> but um, what's interesting about this is what, what you're saying is why would we expect something like that? I do think that Christmas time is a time that we – we look at death as well. At least in my life, I've done that. Uh, that sounds weird, but the thing is, horror is about us facing our fears of death yeah. and coming to terms with our own mortality, as we've said in many episodes before. But at Christmas time, you actually think about those you've lost, and there's there's that element in uh, a Christmas Carol as well, where where he thinks about his former partner, and then that kind of gets the ball rolling. I mean, his his former partner is kind of with him. And so yeah. that's interesting. It's interesting that we would think about death at such a time. And that probably ties into the whole themes of Christianity as well. But 
you know, overcoming death yeah. and so forth. But anyways, that's cool stuff. I really like it and love to have uh, the listeners give us comments in the show notes for episode 107 here. And if you're wondering, so a couple little notes, Josh, we jumped right into everything. Yeah. I just wanted to say uh, Dr. Shock will be along with us later. So it'll be good to have him. And I just want to ask everybody to just uh, please excuse my voice tonight. I am definitely under the weather, so I hope it holds out. I'll try not to be too annoying on the call, but I tell you, I took NyQuil, Josh, <laughs> about 20 minutes ago. And oh, boy. I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm uh, going to sleep right here, so I'll try. <laughs> this is a race. This is a race to see if we can finish the podcast before Jay passes out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it would do that to me this time but uh, because I'm so pumped about this. But, man, I feel like I'm under the influence. Um, speaking of influence, we're also we also have special drinks tonight. At least I do. <laughs> I have them, um, and, and this is non-alcoholic because I don't I don't drink actually. But this is a uh, sparkling apple grape cider, the uh, wow. Mar- Martinelli's kind, and so I got that for our little Christmas show. So I hope when people are listening to this episode, maybe they'll pour some eggnog or apple cider or hot cocoa something like that and um, you know as we record it's the winter solstice tonight actually so that's another thing that although uh, you know christianity is a you know the heart of christmas underneath that is this other layer of this pagan holiday and the solstice and the celebration of the darkest night the longest night of the year is is this time of year and um you know and and in that darkness people light candles in celebration to encourage the light and say even in our darkest times there there will be light and we had a little winter solstice celebration at my house tonight before the show for dinner and uh and i had a delicious french pastry (laughs) so that was my that was my treat yeah (laughs) Well done. That sounds great. I hope people are celebrating along with us. This is kind of fun. And, you know, even if Christmas isn't your holiday at this time, whatever you celebrate, we hope you're having a happy holiday, safe, warm, and full of horror movie podcasts. And yeah, you mentioned this is the longest night of the year. Since we are recording a horror movie podcast episode, I have no doubt that will be true. So (laughs) I want to... um, Give a quick shout out to our friend Kagan Breitenbach, listener of the year for 2016. You noticed in the beginning of this episode that he uh, Christmasized the horror movie podcast introduction. And uh, Josh, that was so cool. Now I just think he's showing off now. I yeah, mean, I know. Well, that's great. It's like whatever <laughs> keeps him going. If it's if it's the need for attention, Kagan, we love it. You're amazing. No, I, I, I really appreciate it him and uh to have someone so talented just hooking us up with amazing treats like that at every turn uh yeah it's really humbling and, and awesome it is and here's the thing i always say this but like i'm a musician myself i really am i'm, a, I'm not like a juilliard musician which by the way sure. i don't know if you notice josh it, it seems that we got an email from <laughs> from an attendee of juilliard and i'm like I better stop saying I'm a musician on this podcast if we have those people listening because they're fantastic. But anyways, as a musician myself, I'm just genuinely blown away by the things that Kagan's doing. So thank you, Kagan. It is wonderful. One last thing here before we move into our first feature review of the night, Josh, I just wanted to promote our next episode, which is coming up on like, I think it's 
uh, January 6th. It's the first Friday in January. It will be our horror movie podcast, Top 10 Horror Movies of 2016. And I'm so excited about that because it's my favorite show of the year. And we are inviting listeners to send us in their lists. You can email your top 10 list to horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and just send it in. And um, the deadline is New Year's Eve. So send it before the first so I can get it all tallied. And we will have a collective listener list as well. Cool. And uh, side note on that, if you're interested in general film, there's another top 10 list on Movie Podcast Weekly. It's pretty fantastic for all the movies coming out in 2016. So anyways, Wolfman Josh, we are looking forward to hearing your feature review of Good Tidings. We are being punished for dragging us up from the dead. They're gonna die with us. And then they're gonna slaughter us. One. All right, good tidings. So this is one that I am excited about because it's always fun to have another new Christmas horror movie. As you know, as we were saying, there aren't, there aren't a ton, so every time that there's a new one, I, I get a little bit excited. This film is a 2016 film. It's directed by Stuart W. Bedford. I believe this is his directorial debut, um, and is written by Bedford as as well as Giovanni Gentile and Stu Jopia. I hope I'm pronouncing those names correctly. I'm sure they're exactly right what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, and then uh, Stu here, he also plays uh, one of the less lovable characters in the story, <laughs> basically. Um, so what you have here is an interesting premise. You've got these three um, psychopathic killers, essentially, who it, it appears have escaped from some sort of institution at the beginning of the film, they stumble upon a kind of drunken mall Santa Claus, dispatch him rather quickly. It's always a drunken Santa Claus that mm-hmm. that's caught. I mean, seriously, there are so many problems <laughs> surrounding that. That happens a lot. They, they open the trunk of his car and find in his car, a whole, a bevy of Santa Claus costumes. And so now the three of them in matching Santa Claus outfits go for a stroll. Right. And, um, some of the other characters that we, that we meet in this film are uh, kind of a community of homeless people. And they have found an abandoned building. It seems like it's a kind of a municipal courthouse type of a building. This, this film does take place in the, the United Kingdom. So, I'm not positive on the exact area. I could, and I'm not. I don't know the accents well enough to discern. And um, I, you know, I'm not sure what the proper nomenclature is for all of the uh, these types of buildings there. But here, it looks like it would be just a courthouse type of a place, or like a county building. And um, inside there, and it's very nice. Is a small community of homeless people who have, you know, found that the building was vacant taken it over and set up a little 
camp sitting there and they're all in good spirits for the holidays. They're enjoying one another's company. They're having like kind of a Christmas party, but unbeknownst to them as you know, they were kind of making their way into the building or, you know, just kind of the leader that we are introduced to in the film is he's kind of entering the building, this car full of evil Santas drives by and see, sees him going in. And, uh, we now are, have found ourselves in a, in a very precarious situation where, no one in law enforcement or in town would even suspect that anyone is in this building at all. Um, and so these people are kind of trapped in a pretty bad situation once three uh, killer Santas uh, join their party. So that's the setup for the film. I like um, that, I like that yeah. so far. I mean, I think it's a pretty good premise. It's a great premise. It's a, it's a cool idea. And the film, you know, is not... Um, they don't. They didn't have a lot of money. It doesn't appear to me. I think the budget is um, an issue here to some degree. You know, the the performances are good. I, w- I wouldn't say they're great. I think the camera does some interesting stuff, but you can f- sense that um, it's not the highest quality camera available. You know what I mean? So I think they've made a lot with seemingly little. I think they the you know the shot. Um, a lot of the staging is good. The uh, framings are good. There are some interesting shots here. The The performances are pretty good. The script is pretty good. Um, the locations are beautiful. I mean, it's, it's a really cool spot that they found to sh- shoot this in. Like you said, the, it, it works with this really cool premise, kind of hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, the costumes are good. These these evil Santas are very scary. Now, that I don't know. Like I, I kind of go back and forth on that. Do you remember – did you ever see the Silent Night film that was kind of the – reboot of silent night oh yeah the new one from 2012 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. or um there's one this year called uh oh man i can't remember what it is it's another new kind of killer santa movie dang it what is that one called i'll I'll have to come back to that but it seems like a lot of these santas have just these very evil looking old man faces attached to the beard and i just don't think in real life at least in the United States, I don't know what it's like over uh, the pond, but we don't typically see kind of these terrifying-looking Santa Claus. <laughs> so that's I think that's maybe a problem with these. Is although they're very cool-looking and very scary-looking, uh, you know, it does take a, for me a suspension of my disbelief to think, well, why do they have such a scary-looking Santa? I don't, I don't get what the what would be the practical use for this terrifying Santa. Oh, the other one's called All Through the House. Oh, okay. The other 2016 film. And that one, it's weird. Like, that almost looks like it's the same mask. So then that makes me think, well, maybe these do exist. And they're using kind of a just a store-bought mask in the way, like, Scream or Halloween had utilized something that was already there and kind of put their own twist on it, you know? Yeah. Well, um, so I, yeah. I guess I'm not sure why that's bothering you 100% because are you saying that, like, if you were the Macy's department store owner – that you wouldn't you wouldn't cast someone who doesn't look like like uh, Doctor Shock, like a jolly old elf, <laughs> right? Exactly. right? Well, you know, even in Silent Night, Bloody Night, it's just a guy wearing the beard, right? Yeah. But in Good Tidings and Silent Night, the remake, they have these plastic face parts. The face part is plastic or rubber as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're saying. What manufacturer created 
Yeah, the manufacturer made a terrifying Santa Claus mask. And what is the market for such a mask, I wonder? <laughs> uh, well, I wonder if it's like, um, you know, if people want to do a Nightmare Before Christmas Halloween-type <laughs> costume and have a scary costume. Because honestly, the concept of Santa Claus, as much as I, I love Santa Claus, we talked about this before, it's kind of a creepy thing when you think about it. Right. Yeah, he's monitoring uh, whether you've been naughty or nice. He's always, always watching your children. And yeah, he can sneak <laughs> into your house at night. Um, and it's creepy. So I could see why there would be a mask. But okay, I'm following you now. I'm caught up. Okay. I'm just saying it's a minor nitpick, but it's something that I see with a lot of these horror Christmas movies. Number one, I don't really see a lot of Santas in my day-to-day where they're wearing anything but just a beard with their normal face showing through. But it also seems like these masks that they're wearing also happen to be really scary masks. That's all I'm saying. They look cool. And if you look on the poster, it looks really cool. Like when you see it, you're like, Ooh, I want to watch this movie because it's a kind of a terrifying look here that these Santas have. And uh, it's funny, like in the credits, these Santas are credited as Larry, Moe and Curly, which I appreciate. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, One of them was the, aforementioned co-writer of the film. Another of them uh, did the score for the film. So uh, they utilized, you know, friends and, and people were kind of involved with this now. So one of my issues with this film that um, I don't know if it's an issue. It's just, a, it's something that I've noticed some in a lot of kind of killer slasher movies. And I, just as a concept discussion, I wanted to bring this up with you. It seems like these killers, so none of them speak, right? Okay. And they're creepy. But like if you get a home invasion movie like uh, The Strangers or something like The Purge, you have a lot of these films with the people in the mask. And, and, and it's not uncommon where they'll have like a creepy laugh or some kind of grunting or screaming, but not a lot of speaking. Right. What do, what are you, how do you feel about that? Just that as a, as a concept. Like, is it strange to you that these characters would exist and not even amongst themselves? They're not even talking to one another, really. We don't really hear that. Well, I, I kind of think that reinforces um, the creepiness of having, um, you know, kind of a faceless killer. When you have a killer with a mask, like Michael Myers, for example, I mean, I mean, d- does he say anything ever in the entire series? No, I mean, but 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 I guess that's a little bit different for me because he's just stalking and slashing. I think when you get multiple characters and they're interacting with one another, like we're three crazy guys in the house. Isn't that a little bit weirder that we're never being like, hey, come over here and get this guy. We're just kind of like, ah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. so my example, I guess, would be, I mean, you're asking me, does that seem normal or or like. um, Like what you think of that as a as a horror film? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the the film Preservation from 2015, which I really liked that actually um, kind of informed me about this and changed my mind on it because. yeah, like the the strangers is a special film where they don't really talk, and I'm like, okay, that's good. But when I saw Preservation, you had these three assailants who were masked, and they didn't talk or communicate. But then about halfway through the film, they start talking, and you get a different side of them just because, and, and merely hearing their voice humanizes them, and so it it totally uh, deflated the threatening nature of them them as a monster. And so I, I actually, I prefer it. I think if they're going to be masked, then they shouldn't talk either because having a voice makes you human. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I think it's just interesting here. Um, 
I guess it takes some, I don't know. I, it took me out of it a little bit, mostly just not necessarily because it was bad in the film, but because I was kind of thinking about this as a whore conceit because it seemed obviously like they're going out of their way for these characters not to talk to each other. And sometimes they have to kind of like grunt or something to like get the other one's attention. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about this when I was watching Merry Christmas, Mr. Bean the other day. Too. <laughs> like it's weird when they, when a silent character chooses to speak or make noise, that always kind of fascinates me as a oh, yeah. writer or directorial or, you know, performer choice. But yes. Um, yeah. So that, that's the basic concept here. I don't, I don't know. There's much more to say that I, you know, I could without spoiling it, but the characters within the homeless community have to do battle with these Santas and the Santas are brutal and they're, um, you know, one of them is gigantic and, you know, one of them is sadistic and they kind of have different qualities, uh, um, kind of killer qualities. Why three and not one? I don't know. It's interesting as I have looked at so many killer Santa movies over the last little while, it's been interesting to kind of think about, oh, okay, most of them are these single acting alone killer Santas. It's interesting here to have kind of this, this group of three and, how, and it does change the dynamic and it does for me, it kind of made me kind of take pause and think about it a little bit more, but um, it's a, it's a good film. Um, it's, it's a great indie effort. I think I, this is, you know, as a filmmaker that'd be interested to see what they might be able to do with a bigger budget. I think um, it's one worth checking out. It's a pretty low priced rental, like on Amazon instant video or something like that. You can mm-hmm. find this one. It's like four bucks, um, four bucks on Amazon. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if you are the type of person that enjoys, um, you know, just any kind of new slasher, I think this is one to check out. But I, I would definitely would tell people, um, you know, this is not going to have the sheen of of a typical studio film. Uh, you know, it's not like something you see in theaters or even a lot of VOD releases. I think this is this looks like some friends made a movie on a on a budget above what most movies like that look like you know what i mean like it looks like they had more money than like another movie i saw this year was called christmas sleigh which just as and i sent you an email and dave an email (laughs) about this just as a public service announcement the worst movie i've ever seen available streaming on amazon was christmas sleigh another killer santa movie this is far superior to something like that. And, you know, but there, there, there's an attempt here at real actors, um, you know, real scenes, dialogue, uh, you know, uh, good, good looking killers. And so I think this is something that slasher fans could appreciate, but not everyone, people who aren't necessarily up for an indie experience are going to be able to appreciate. It's very dark and not like necessarily just because of the lighting. I think a lot of it has to do with like the color correction choices and stuff. It, it made, the picture is a little muddy and, and dark at times. The score is interesting. Um, I think it's really effective sometimes. Like they they did something here I've never really heard in a score before. Um, I would say for me, a lot of the time it was distracting. Like it kind of took me out of it. But sometimes it was really really effective and it was just the use of um kind of almost like a chanting choral performance uh, mm. vocals used within the score okay kind of like what you were talking about the dog barking and pet yeah is use of the score yeah like, it's interesting because you just don't ever really hear it you're like whoa that's different right you know but but i also i'm not sure how effective it was overall so um overall on this film i'm i'm probably going to come in on about a 
five on this. I think it's worth watching. It's a good indie effort. But I'm going to call it a low-priority rental, and it is streaming, like you said, for about $4 on Amazon. I bet you people will be inclined to check that out just because it's a, a new Christmas slasher. I know they will because I told people to avoid Christmas sleigh, and at least two of our listeners immediately went and watched that one. So Okay. <laughs> I'm saying this one you're going to like better than Christmas Slay, at least. Go check that out. <laughs> okay. Did they hate Christmas Slay after they watched it? Jody uh, seemed to say it was pretty bad. Now, okay, um, I think it was Eric. He's now claiming that he didn't say anything about it. I swear I thought he had said it wasn't all that bad. But, but okay. then when I called him on it later, he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I never said anything about it. Uh, yeah, he's like, I don't know. Don't <laughs> af- I'm not affiliated with you <laughs> in that film. <laughs> That is great. Anyway. Okay, well, thanks yeah. for reviewing Good Tidings from 2016. I will say, like, if you check out, I, I didn't read the Amazon description, but if you read, like, the IMD, IMDb description, it's not exactly what the film's about. So I'd almost avoid reading that because um, it kind of gives you a false sense, maybe, for me, of what the film is going to be. And I was kind of waiting for that to happen because I had read the IMDb description and that is kind of just not really what the film's about. So Okay, I got you. All right, Josh. Well, um, what I did for this is um, recently I mentioned that I was a guest on the Center Realist podcast. They invited mm-hmm. me to be on there and I was honored and flattered and, and they were doing a top 10 movies with three letter titles. And it comes out on uh, December 26th. Anyway, it should be out then. And I had a lot of horror movies on there. And one of them that I actually put on there was this film. This is what reminded me of it. It's called ATM from 2012. This is actually at Redbox for a long time. And it was, I believe, and it was streaming on Netflix as well. And it turns out I had forgotten this, but I actually covered this in one of my favorite little Frankensteinian episodes back in episode nine. It was called Cutting Heads. Um, Dr. Shock and I were on here together and we just kept going back and forth between horror movies and just mini reviewing (laughs) horror movies, just trading. Nice. It was really fun. And so I actually had covered this way back when. Okay. I was going to say, I I remember hearing about this from you somehow, but I don't remember much about it or anything about it. Yeah. Well, it is a, um, it is a Christmas horror slasher flick actually. And it's, it's pretty decent. I'm, I'm, gonna be honest with you i i actually like this film and i have seen it now probably three or four times total yeah since it's released in 2012 and i'm into it now it's one of those uh what would i do in this situation kind of movies which i love because it's got a perishable situation where you've got characters who are in a a semi-dangerous predicament at first but the longer they're stuck in it the deadlier that predicament becomes it's one of those and it is definitely a christmas film because it opens at um, a company christmas party actually now there is a little bit of a continuity error in here so as far as like to me josh i really pick up on the dates that, yeah. that um, things are occurring especially when christmas movies and in the film at one point the character's say that it's three days before Christmas. So it's like December 22nd. But there is lots of footage from a camera, a security camera, and the date on that footage is December 17th. And you see that a lot more. So it's either the 17th or the 22nd, but it takes place (laughs) all in one night. 
And here's the premise. So after leaving the company Christmas party, um, David and Emily are kind of on an impromptu first date. And then this uh, annoying, and <laughs> and I mean, he's he's kind of a goober, this annoying coworker tags along as a third wheel. Okay. And um, he persuades them to stop because he wants some pizza. So he has to stop at an ATM. And when they make this late night stop at this ATM, um, they get stuck inside because there is a very threatening person wearing this giant parka. <laughs> like they can't see his face, but he's got this big furry hood and he's yeah. standing out there in the darkness. And they can tell right away that he's dangerous and that he's actually a killer. Okay. Can I ask you a couple questions here? Yeah, go for it, please. Number one, um, Alice Eve is an awesome actress. She was probably not as famous when she made this as she is now. Yes, absolutely. Um, and people yeah. don't know her. She's She was the, the foxy gal in uh, the Star Trek movie. Um, yeah. Star Trek, uh, what was it? Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my question is: Is Josh Peck, um, who plays Corey, is he the annoying guy, or is the his friend David the annoying guy? Yeah, Josh Peck is the annoying guy, super annoying. Okay. I do find him annoying, so I'm glad to hear that he's the annoying. Guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, he he's that um, he's that kind of like loser friend that's crass and abrasive and over the top and. You know, it's not like you can't tolerate him, but yeah. you, you're really rooting for the protagonist here because he's kind of a really shy guy and he's finally made his move to <laughs> be friends with Emily and it's yeah. going well and you're like, get that guy out of here, you know. <laughs> and lastly, uh, this killer look. So this is something that they used in Urban Legend, that movie. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. That uh-huh. film? And I... Loved that killer look so much, but I really did not care for that film. And I just thought, man, this is such a great look for a killer. They should be using this in a better movie. So I'm wondering, is this the better movie then? Is this, uh, I would is say this the so. movie I was waiting for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think for a lot of people out there, a lot of people might be underwhelmed. I mean, this wouldn't be for your average audience. Like if if somebody like my movie podcast, Weekly Buddies, if they watch this, they'd be like, eh, I didn't really, you know. But I think for horror fans, especially slasher film, slasher fans will really appreciate this. And, and this killer, um, this is a, a big person in this, in this parka. And I know it sounds funny that he has this really fuzzy hood. But honestly, it, it, is, a, it is a threatening performance. And so, yeah, I think you'll really appreciate what this does. I think does. it's a cool look, personally. It totally is. And, and this is, and I should mention this too. This is one of the things that really attracts me to the film is the screenwriter is Chris Sparling. And for those who don't know, he wrote the screenplay for buried the one with Ryan Reynolds wakes up in a coffin. And so this was, that's so weird. I just heard a, uh I just heard an interview with this guy very recently. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. He's, he's cool guy. I really like him. And, and apparently, um, you know, this was his very next film after that, and he was still exploring having characters consolidated, you know, in a small space. Because for the most part, other than the Christmas party at the introduction, 
This is a single location type of movie where they're stuck inside this little ATM facility the whole time. <laughs> and this guy's just outside. And now what's really cool is um, this impressed me a lot. I never expected this to happen. But that book that I often quote from that I really enjoy, it's the Horror Films FAQ by John Kenneth Muir. In his slasher section, when we were covering slashers, I'd, I noticed that he actually does a write-up about this particular film. And he says in there that it is a, um, it, it's kind of a commentary on the 2008, you know, housing crisis and the, the Great Recession. And you can see it all through the film. There are a lot of strong messages there. I think, I, I think our boy, what was his name? Chris Sparling. I think he was trying to say something about how, you know, the financial sector, oh. at least many of them, were were harming us, and there were so many victims, and they didn't even know who they were harming. And so, right. this is kind of a revenge type flick um, about that because the three characters that are trapped, they work at this financial institution. So that's kind of interesting as well. So there's a little more to yeah. it than one might, you know, initially think, which is great. So, um, I like how it takes place like kind of overnight. It's very cold in it. Um, that's pretty neat. And as far as the kills, there are a number of kills in this more than you would expect probably because, they have to keep the threat going. And so there are occasional people who, who get involved or are in the wrong place at the wrong time and they get taken out. But because the killer is out in the darkness, they're not really graphic about that. They don't really show it. So you don't see a lot in this film as far as that goes, but you, you do, you are convinced when you watch it that he, he's a a dangerous and threatening person. So what do you think so far, Josh? What are you, how are you feeling about this? I mean, honestly, I don't love the, the, the concept that much, but Chris Sparling has sold me because buried is so good. And if you, you can make an entire movie work inside a box underground, I feel like you can make one work in an ATM as well. Now I know he didn't direct either of the films, but um, he's a really good writer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just heard him. He was just recently on the script notes podcast, which for people who were kind of aspiring screenwriters, um, it's a really good podcast and it's one worth checking out. Um, he was recently a guest on the show, but, um, yeah, I, I really like him and, and what he did with buried. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, this, this interests me just based on him alone. I mean, I think you've said some things that interest me as well. I, I, I'm not a huge Josh Peck fan though. So that's, that's one additional knock against it besides taking place at an ATM. Yeah. Well, I, I totally get that. I really do. <laughs> Cause yeah, he's super annoying, but no, it's it. I do like the, um, inside of a box cause he's still in a box as we've said. And, and I like where it goes. I mean, there are lots of creative things because in a movie like this, the fun part is like with open water or buried or something like that. You're always like, what would I do? And you think about the various things. So the characters try some smart things that, that, you know, seem like they would really come prominently to your mind. Yeah. Like, what would I do? So I just want to tell the listeners out there, I mean, for a Christmas film, because it is set at Christmas, there's not a lot of 
well, I will, I'll take that back. I was going to say there's not a lot of Christmas decorations, but the opening, of course, there's lots of Christmassy stuff, but then in the, in the lot that they're situated in, there are like Christmas lights kind of off in the distance. So you do get that sense that it's Christmas. I love and appreciate that. I I think it's a a good slasher flick and, um, you know, it's pretty good. So I'll just leave it at that. But for me, this is seven out of 10. That's what I initially rated the first time I saw it. And upon each rewatch, I still feel the same way. So I call it a, a seven out of 10 and I would say rent ATM. For sure, from 2012. I mean, you sold me. It's definitely one I'm going to check out now. And, and, you know, just because it's a little bit of a goofy title, you know, uh, I honestly, that would probably have been enough to keep me away from before. But you know what? Two years ago on a Christmas special, you sold me on a film very similarly called (laughs) P2, just a two-letter movie. That's right. uh, That I never would have watched had you not uh, convinced me, and I really enjoyed that experience. And that's a movie that I ended up buying and revisited. So, um, yeah, I'll check out ATM. All right, that sounds good. Well, next year I'll have to try to find a one-letter Christmas horror film and see if I could sell you on that one. M. (laughs) Yeah, M. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. That's the only one I had in mind, but I don't even know if that's Christmas, but Anyways, I don't think <laughs> so I we'll see what I could do. But anyway, Josh, let's hear about Santa's sleigh. And as you said, not to be confused with Christmas sleigh. <laughs> okay, Santa's sleigh was a request from listener Sal, Sal in Roma. Toledo, Ohio, and, and Sal Roma. Yeah, he Sal has requested been requesting Santa's sleigh for quite a while. So uh, I felt like we owed it to him to cover the film. And I'm sorry, Sal, but nobody else was interested in watching this movie <laughs> because, it, you know. Sorry, look Sal. <laughs> look at it, man. It's no, but um, but I, I decided I'd watch it. Now, the, one interesting thing about this film is you kind of mentioned this before. This is a, a Christmas movie made. It seems almost entirely by Jewish people, which is an interesting take on it, which in this case may explain why they felt. Uh, great about kind of making Santa a killer on the day baby Jesus was born. So, um, you know, it's directed by David Steinman. And in this weird opening scene, you've got uh, some surprising kind of C-list talent like uh, Rebecca Gayhart from the previously mentioned Urban Legend movie. Um, She's she's in the opening scene. That Noxima girl is probably what she's best known as. Um, Chris Catan. But then against all odds, you've got Fran Drescher in there. Who's uh, probably up to the B list or, you know, a minus list. And then you've got James Kahn in this opening scene. Oh, wow. And, and James Kahn. Wow. What are we, what are we in for here? Um, are they all sitting around the Christmas table? Uh, you know, a, a bunch of Jewish actors pretending to be, uh, Christians having their Christmas feast. Uh, just a funny choice to me, I think. Just a, an interesting choice. Now, they did offend me from very early on because as they're saying grace at their Christmas table, uh, you know, they say, thank you that we're not uh, poor and thank you that we're not Samoan. And uh, one of the characters looks at the other and wow. says, what's Samoan? And I think... That is because this movie stars as Santa Claus professional wrestler Bill Goldberg. And what I was able to glean from his Wikipedia page is that Goldberg has had a long-standing feud with The Rock, 
who, oh. as we mentioned on our Moana review over at Movie Podcast Weekly, is half Samoan. So, interestingly, they kind of go after <laughs> The Rock uh, during the very opening scene of this film. <laughs> I see, but then that just becomes some weird relic in this film where it's just flatly offensive and there's no context <laughs> yeah. for it later. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Well, at first I was like, I, it was weird because I could only imagine this had to do with The Rock when I heard that because why else is this, would this be in here? Yes. And I was like, oh, there's another wrestler. And I thought, well, maybe The Rock was the original actor that the director wanted and he turned him down or something. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I guess Bill Goldberg and The Rock have a have a feud. So wrestling fans, you may be able to appreciate that on just another level that they're going after the rock. Um, Samoans may be slightly offended. (laughs) Right. Understandably. So Uh, the movie stars Douglas Smith, who I know from big love, which is an HBO show. I I quite enjoyed. Um, A lot of people would recognize him from the uh, stage fright remake. The one that we thought we've talked about very recently as well. Okay. The musical, he's the brother. Um, and he's also going to be in the Bye Bye Man, which comes out early 2017. Um, Emily DeRaven, who Lost fans would recognize as Claire. Yes. We talked about her bow on that show just recently on the show as well. I feel like everything's coming up that we just talked about. Yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, Claire is on the show and uh, she plays uh, Mary Mac McKenzie. So uh, it's Nicholas and Mac kind of making their way through this film for the most part. So in this opening scene with James Caan, Santa comes down the chimney, completely destroys it. It's Bill Goldberg. He's this gigantic hulk of a man. He kills, just murders everybody in this family in in pretty comical fashion, but pretty gory and kind of over the top too. Um, If you've ever wanted to see James Caan get his hand stabbed to the table with uh, turkey forks. You get to see that. If you ever wanted to see Fran Drescher have her hair lit on fire and then drown in some eggnog, you get to see that. Um, pretty crazy, wacky beginning. And I was just kind of like, I am not sure I'm in this movie. What has Sal gotten me into? I, I don't really know if I want to watch this at all. Um, it gets better after, after a while as it goes, I think it beyond that scene. And, um, Although I will say after that scene, there's a lot of, I felt like this could be PG-13. Um, it's very much a Christmas film. It takes place in the small town of Hell is the name of the town. And it's the Hell Township. And I believe this film takes place in Canada, although I couldn't quite tell. I know it was filmed in Canada. There is a Hell, Michigan. So I don't know if it was intended to be take place in Hell, Michigan. Um, but it's it's either there or some hell township in Canada that does not exist. But okay. um, the film follows Santa on his sleigh as he goes around and tries to murder everyone in the small town of hell. And we learn that Santa is actually the spawn of Satan. And due to losing a bet with an angel, he has been forced to take presents to children and be kind all these years. But now that the time limit has passed, has ceased, he's back to his old evil ways and it goes on this killing spree. So wow. it's a, it's pretty wacky horror comedy. Um, Christmas level wise, it's certainly not Christmassy in terms of tone. Um, you know, it's, 
it's uh <laughs> but you know it looks looks the part it looks very christmasy all throughout um bill goldberg is a really cool looking santa actually he kind of has that look of um a christmas horror story or even if you guys remember that cartoon uh, rise of the guardians i don't know if oh yeah you, you may have seen that but he has this kind of big buff cool looking santa claus look to him that uh, that i actually quite like and I will also say, you know, we talked about on the last show um, kind of models being good serial killers because their bone structure is so extreme with regard to the girl in the photographs. Um, I will say the professional wrestlers from this experience make great hulking slayer killers. Oh, yeah. He's a great slasher. He's He's a hulk of a man. He would be great Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. You know, he's just, um, he's got the physical intimidation down. He's got an incredible physique. Uh, he moves really well. You know, there have been a lot of Michael Myers over the years, as much as I love that character, who don't have, you know, this much agility. And um, I, I just feel like he's the perfect kind of build to play a slasher killer. So in that sense, it's it's interesting. There aren't too many great kills. There's not a lot of great story. The story really devolves toward the end into kind of like Adam Sandler territory um, and mm. bad Adam Sandler territory, just wackiness. I mean, there are a lot of Christmas movies like this kind of throughout the like late 90s, early 2000s. And that's what I feel like. This movie feels like a 90s film to me. It doesn't have kind of the um, – it doesn't feel like the year that takes that was shot, which is 2005. Yeah. Kind of like the movie Snow Day, which is a non-horror film. It feels like it's about a decade late, and the characters all feel like they are written to be where that director maybe was 10 years earlier, um, you know, in the 90s. And these characters are making references to things that they're too young to probably know about. Um, and just the whole vibe of the movie feels aesthetically for me like a decade off, but, um, yeah, this feels very similar to me tonally to something like snow day. If you imagine that film, but with a couple of slasher kills and a very angry Santa Claus, that's kind of, uh, where I put this look, um, (laughs) I think people could have fun with this movie. You have to definitely be in the mood for horror comedy. You have to definitely, you know, something like a Jack Frost, you have to be willing for it to just be wackiness and craziness. Um, I still feel like it kind of does not deliver on too many of the kills. There's a pretty cool kill with a menorah at one point in this film um, (laughs) that I think is handled very well. But other than that, not much. And then where it ultimately goes with kind of the storyline, I was for me extremely disappointing but um i mean i can see why sal would enjoy a film like this like this seems like the kind of movie you would watch at a party with friends to laugh at and make fun of and yes i'm sure that's kind of the intention here okay i remember they actually reviewed this on uh, planet macabre on their christmas episode and so that was pretty fun. Let me just uh, kind of pull that up here and see if I can find it real quick. So if you go to uh, Bill Shetty's Horror on the Go, if you go to his like archives there for Planet Macabre, which is Doc's Dr. Shock's first horror podcast that he was ever on. So that was pretty cool. Um, they did. They covered like four or five Christmas movies on that, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, it was good. It was good stuff. And and I think... Better, better than my review is what you're saying. You know, you said... 
You know what? Who reviewed this much better? No, not at all. <laughs> not at <laughs> all. This is not. This was not a movie for me. And those guys, you know, anytime there's multiple people reviewing something, it's going to be better, and they're all great. Um, what did, did they enjoy the film? No, well, I think most of them hated it, actually, as I recall. But no, that's what I was going to say. Actually, you were much, you were much more gracious and generous okay. with it. They were pretty dismissive of it, as I remember. But yeah, so. Um, that's on the horror on the go. If you go to their previous podcast there, it was like their second episode, episode two called Christmas horror. Yeah. And they didn't have like, their ratings. Um, no, it's not listed here actually. So was Greg Mortis on that show. Yes. Yeah. That's uh Greg Mortis, Bill Shetty, uh, lady phantom, hell hunter and Dr. Shock. That's from December 5th, 2010. So I can imagine Greg Mortis enjoying this, but yeah, maybe there were people that were, yeah, like I think Greg Mortis was nicer too. Cause he like, I think he likes Goldberg, but most people were pretty dismissive and kind of hated it. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I liked Goldberg. I would, I would have rather seen, uh, you know, in fact, I would watch Santa Slate too. If it was evil Goldberg Santa versus Mick Foley, like hero santa i feel like that could be a, a show okay i could get into yeah did you ever see the i am santa claus um documentary with mick foley no i did not he's obsessed with santa claus and in christmas in real life did you know this about him i, I had heard that actually like he's got it's christmas all year round at his house he's always got a christmas tree up year round him and his family like go to this christmas town and hang out and he wanted to be like a working santa and the documentary follows like a group of kind of professional Santas and Mick Foley's one of them as he's like, you know, on a mission to become a, a real Santa Claus. Well, now you're talking. So what you said there a minute ago about him being a good Santa Claus, Goldberg being evil, and then they fight. I, okay. I could, I could yeah. get behind that now, especially knowing that. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> sure. Uh, so Santa Slay, not very good. Um, I would probably come in at a five with this one. I think there's definitely people who will appreciate this. If you're someone who likes Jack Frost, you probably like Santa Slay. You know, if you're if you're open to just having a totally wacky slasher experience, and you don't care if it makes sense, you don't care if the production values are high, you don't care if it's goofy. You know, look, Santa has a buffalo. He he has a flying buffalo in this movie. That's cool to me. I heard about that. Now, does it look good? <laughs> it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Okay. So if that appeals to you, then Jay, this might be for you. This, I would say, if I could guess, this is not a movie you would enjoy. <laughs> no, no, I could tell by your description right away. <laughs> so you say five, but what do you tell people to do? Is this a, what is this? <laughs> I mean, for me, this is an avoid, but I can imagine if you're that person I described, I would say this is probably a rental for you. Uh, for me, avoid this. Yeah. Okay. So I that, don't know why I'm giving it a five. Let's let's knock that down a bit. Okay. Let's give this a four. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you you are very kind and generous in your ratings, so that's good. Well, I mean, I think that there's something to be said for they made a movie. You know, it's a, it's a cool location. The costumes are awesome. He really is an awesome looking Santa Claus. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. There's, I think for some, in some ways, if you make a movie that's a movie, I think that's worth three points, uh, to some degree anyway. <laughs> like if it's just a watchable movie. Oh uh, yeah, because and you would know how difficult it is just to get a movie out there and 
you know, finish that process. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think sometimes it's easy for critics or, uh, you know, very (laughs) people who are harsh on movies just to kind of pile on and eviscerate a film. But you know what's interesting about that, uh, Wolfman Josh, is when I hear, even if it's a film that I didn't like, even if it's a film I strongly didn't like, if I hear, like, the director's commentary and I just hear the director's side of the story about um, how yeah. this came to be and um, where the director was coming from, I I really gain a lot more empathy for it. And mm-hmm. I appreciate more what was trying to be done because, I mean, when a film turns out well, <laughs> I mean, if you get a film made, that's mm-hmm. very impressive. But then if it turns out well on top of that, it's almost a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if for a comparison, you know, this is Santa's sleigh, Christmas sleigh, I would probably, I'm tempted to just say it's a zero. That's that bad. So if that's any comparison. Okay. So yeah, we, we found out tonight Christmas sleigh is not (laughs) something. Not one to check out. (laughs) Okay. At this point in episode 107 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to move into our Movie Podcast Network holiday greeting. And this week, it comes to you from Movie Streamcast. Josh from Movie Streamcast, where we bring you short reviews of streaming content. And as is typical on Movie Streamcast, tracking down a co-host for this segment was nearly impossible. So I'm joined by one of my favorite fill-in co-hosts. Hi, it's Little Buddy. You know, when I was a kid, we used to wait around every year around the television this time of year to see TV specials that would come on only once a year. I didn't have a VHS tape of it. I didn't have a Blu-ray. But now we're living in a streaming world where everything's at our fingertips. And since this is Movie Streamcast, I wanted to give people some recommendations of what Christmas content they can get online right now. So unfortunately, the Christmas selection on Netflix isn't that great right now. We're going to be covering the best movies streaming on Netflix at MovieStreamcast.com. But today I wanted to recommend something else that we do as a family. And it's kind of like sitting around waiting for those Christmas specials to come on, only we can just binge watch them all. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Office? That's right! So just like those Christmas specials I was telling you about, each big TV show would do their own Christmas special each year. But I want to tell the podcast listeners that right now streaming on Netflix, they can catch all seven Christmas specials of The Office. There's Season 2, Episode 10, Christmas Party... That's the one where Michael ruins the secret Santa party. Yeah, that was the one where everyone wanted the iPod. Yep. Season 3, episode 10 is a Benny Hanna Christmas. I don't think you've seen that one, but I think that one is hilarious because Michael and Andy pick up some servers at Benny Hanna where they go for lunch. They bring them back to the Christmas party. And Michael has a hard time distinguishing between the two girls, so he has to mark one of their arms with a marker. That's pretty strange. Season 5, episode 11 is Moroccan Christmas, which I don't think you've seen that one either. That's the one where Dwight is selling the unicorn Barbie dolls. Did you see that one? Princess Starlight or something like that? Season 6, episode 13 is Secret Santa, where Michael gets really upset when Jim lets Phyllis be Santa Claus. There's this part where Kevin sits on Michael's lap 
And he's like crushing him. <laughs> <laughs> Season 7 has a double Christmas episode, 11 and 12, which are classy Christmas parts 1 and 2. This one is the one where Holly, the lady that Michael likes, moves back to Scranton. And Michael tries to make the party really fancy to impress Holly. Do you remember that? She has this Woody doll and Michael, he puts it in the garbage and then he pours coffee on it. (laughs) Season 8, episode 10 is Christmas Wishes, where Andy wants everyone's Christmas wishes to come true. But I don't think that one was really appropriate for kids either. I don't think you've seen that one. And lastly, season 9, episode 9 is Dwight Christmas, which features your favorite, do you remember? Belschnickel! Belschnickel will decide if you've been impish or admirable. <laughs> well, I hope you guys will do what our family does and just binge watch all seven of these Christmas office episodes over the course of a day or two. Hope this adds to your holiday cheer. My name is Josh. And my name is Little Buddy. And we hope to see you soon on Movie Streamcast. Well done, Joshua. You know, I I always want to get my uh, <laughs> my kids podcasting with me, but then I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that because it's going to be more editing. <laughs> so, but that was super <laughs> cute. You got a you got a total natural, total pro there with you. Oh, he's good. He's good. We've reviewed a few good movies together now over there, Teen Wolf and. Uh, Ghostbusters and stuff like that. So that's amazing. So for people who don't know, I mean, I've been I've been promoting uh, movie streamcast for a long time. This is one of the best movie podcasts on the internet. I really feel that way. It was initially started by uh, Jeff Hammer, and then uh, later on, Josh took it over and just took it new places. Yeah. You forgot to mention that you were the host. Oh yeah, I was the host initially. That's right. <laughs> That, that that was back before, uh, <laughs> that was back in the day. So yeah, I was a host on it for a while and I really, I was proud of it. I just ran out of time. I just didn't have time, but Josh picked it right up and ran with it and it's amazing. So Josh, give them a sense of exactly what you do over there now, because your well, format is a, a little different from, from what it used to be when I was on there. When I was on there, it was like, what, 10... 10 minute, 15 minute reviews, but now they're a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, the goal has always been to be 15 minute shows, to be honest. But what happened was <laughs> um, nobody else would let me talk about Survivor anywhere. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Survivor is streaming, uh, you know, online on several places Hulu, Amazon, and CBS, Al Access Pass, and other places. So I took that as my opportunity to also discuss a lot of Survivor. And so we have listeners like Jody. Who, you know, for instance, who doesn't watch Survivor but does like the podcast, he just doesn't listen to any of their Survivor coverage. So what I usually do is we do what have you been streaming lately, where people talk about typically that's where people talk about the TV shows they've been streaming in that section. Uh-huh. Then we do one, usually just one feature film review. And then during the Survivor season, oftentimes we'll have either some bonus coverage of Survivor or I'll do like a top five list related to whatever the feature review was, or we'll play a little game with whoever the co-host is on that episode. And it's kind of a revolving door of co-hosts. Uh-huh. It's me and about five people who are set. And then like on this little clip you just heard, I grab my son. If I can't get a hold of anybody that week, we do a kid, like a kid's movie or whatever, something that's streaming, but excellent. Um, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. I think it's really fun. And, um, and we try to do indie films that are like, I try to do movies that are 
movies that would be in people's queues. So, uh, yes. you know, how it's different at Halloween because, um, you know, I, I try to do some kind of like family friendly, scary movies during that time. But most of the year I try to do a film that is not a mainstream film and not just like a bottom bargain bin film, but kind of in that middle area where it's like people probably have it on their queue, but maybe haven't gotten around to watching it yet. And to me, that's like the need that the show fulfills. Right yeah. There. The sweet spot as it were. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah so that's movie streamcast. I highly recommend it. I think it's tremendous. And Josh, you do a good job over there. So um, we'll have it linked in the show notes at moviestreamcast.com. Cool. And speaking of streaming, actually, uh, recently on a horror movie podcast, Josh, uh, didn't you host a uh, streaming online watch party for a Christmas horror film? Yeah, we've tried to do this every once in a while. We've done it now twice. Uh, the first time we watched The Lost Boys together as a community this time we watched Christmas Horror Story. The basic idea is get a bunch of the HMP listeners together who a lot of them are the ones who frequent the, the comment section at horrormoviepodcast.com and um, just watch a movie together and live tweet it. But the, rather than live tweeting it in our feeds, we set up a private group and just kind of tweet you know, amongst ourselves in a, in a private chat. Okay. Um, and so this season we chose A Christmas Horror Story because it was one that was streaming on Netflix and so a lot of people could assess it easily. And uh, and it was fun. We we watched it all together. There was probably, I don't know, a dozen to 15 people who showed up. And, um, you know, we, we, we watched A Christmas Horror Story and it was a good time. So I took everyone's ratings for the film as well. Most of the time during the film we were just making dumb jokes the entire time. Yeah. So if, if you're someone who is adverse to that, you know, this is not for you. If you don't like people texting you in a movie, it's not, this is not the place, but this is, <laughs> if you, if you like to have a party and watch movies with your raucous friends and you know, this is a good place for that. And a lot of people had their treats ready. Some of the drinkers had their, their craft beers ready and, and the others had like cool, uh, you know, I know Kagan had popcorn and hot chocolate and you know, we had a good time. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to give some of the readers or the listeners ratings and recommendations for our Christmas horror story. You guys heard us discuss this on horror movie podcast last Christmas, uh -huh. uh, but Allison with an I says seven out of 10 high priority rental. And Mark that's dark. Mark said 6.5. Watch it. If you like Christmas horror, Jody says seven out of 10. Um, looking for his recommendation there. He didn't put it immediately afterward because he. He hates me. Um, <laughs> Gareth said seven out of 10 rental, but possibly one. I will watch every Christmas season, says Gareth. Yeah. And Gareth, you know, he's in the UK. So Gareth stayed up. And he says here, you can add to my comments. Worth staying up to almost 5 a.m. to watch with you and the guys. Highly entertaining. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> That's um, serious. Good job, Gareth. Uh, Jason R., said uh oh no sorry that was not really with regard to this movie this was more <laughs> he was rating a part of the chat that he enjoyed um ian west said 6.5 out of 10 um jason r said funny movie felt so short hanging out with you guys made the time fly by <laughs> um, looking for his rating victor rodriguez said six out of ten he agrees with wolfman that's that's always the position to take that's what so. you and i we actually both when back in episode 78 we both gave it a six called it a rental so yeah okay 
Yep. Um, Andred said six out of 10, um, mostly for the changeling segment and for the chat by which he's referred to William Shatner. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> that was Andred. Uh, James from Michigan said um, it's a seven out of 10 rent slash stream it. My rating can definitely be inflated with how fun my viewing experience was with all of the wonderful people. Um, Dino says 6.5 out of 10, mostly a rough watch, but the editing makes it almost worth it. Yeah. Yeah. The ending brings it home before that. I was very leery of it, but you know, I had a, I, I remember I, I watched the the one time for when we reviewed it last year and I watched mm-hmm. that like sitting by the Christmas tree and I just had a great memory of, experiencing that film the first time and yeah, I could see revisiting it. I, I wanted to get to it this year just for fun. So I'm with you. Doc shock gave it a seven out of 10, called it a rental. So, okay. Mm-hmm. And just two more listeners. Josh minor said seven out of 10, not bad at all. Rent or stream it. And Kagan said six out of 10 low priority rental. If you've already seen the classics. So right. that was our little HMP after dark screening. And we're going to try to do this as, you know, it's just an unofficial HMP, meet up with some of the listeners every few months or so. These guys are already talking about doing one around Valentine's day with uh, my bloody Valentine. So if you're interested original or the remake, I don't know, man. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I, that's like, wow. What, what would you even pick? It's hard to, it's hard to choose. Choose just one. Well, if you want to get in on that discussion, go to horrormoviepodcast.com and meet some of these fine folks in the comments. And I'm sure we'll be doing this again at some point in the future. So at this point, wait a second. Did you, I don't know if you heard that. Did you hear that, Josh? There's something on my rooftop. Yeah, mine too. (laughs) So weird. Look who it is. Here goes. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) <laughs> there i said it i started the beer already so i was so I, I i was able to say it how's it going guys i'm so proud of you dr shock in fact you know how i usually do these big elaborate intros for people mm-hmm. i actually made a little intro for you and um pardon my voice because i'm sick but i'll do my best ready here we go All right. up on the housetop reindeer flock here comes jolly old Dr. Shock with five zillion movies in his sleigh. Here to talk Christmas horror with Josh and Jay. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to the show. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to the show. Dave, it's horror movie podcast Christmas show. Dave, give the listeners a ho, ho, ho. <laughs> very good. Well, I already did the ho, 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 but that's awesome. That's very good, Jay. Thank well, you. I was actually referring to giving our listeners prostitutes. So, um, oh, right. just kidding. <laughs> so, so, okay. Dave, I know you have. I ain't got that kind of cash. Okay. <laughs> Well, I'm talking about one of those Pennsylvania ones, but anyways. Oh, okay. Or I could, or 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 how about maybe a West Virginia one? Oh, even better. We're like five for a dollar or something. This is going shady right here. Now, probably a little too far. We probably crossed that line a couple minutes. That's what we did. So, Doctor Shock, um, you sent us, you texted us a picture of your special Christmas drink for the night. What are you drinking, sir? I am drinking Skull Splitter beer. Ooh. Which has a eleven point two percent alcohol. It is, and it, it's got a picture of a Viking on it. <laughs> I want to say it's from. I, I don't know if it's from Scotland. I'm not exactly sure where it's from. Because 
because the label is very small and my eyes are shot. So I can't <laughs> tell exactly where it's for, but I can see the 11.2% alcohol. I can see the Viking on the front of it. So that's what I am drinking. Oh, you'll be cut up to Jay in a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Jay's, Jay's got NyQuil. Yeah, I got NyQuil <laughs> and um, apple grape sparkling cider, non-alcoholic. Oh, nice. Oh, non-alcoholic. <laughs> yes. Well, the NyQuil, will take, the NyQuil will take care of that part. <laughs> yeah, it really I, – I told Josh in the break there, I uh, can't believe how much this is affecting me. But before I go to sleep, let me give out one last mini review, and then we'll move into Dr. Shock's coverage here. Tonight, I wanted to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out from 1989. And the thing about this is, I have many things to say about this, but number one, it's very unusual for a horror movie podcast or a former Considering the Sequels podcast guy not to cover, um, you know, a franchise film within its whole franchise, within the context of <laughs> sure. a franchise. So that's weird. True. I realize that. Right. But but sometimes doesn't it feel liberating just to be able to pull a single film out of a series and just say, we're going to talk about this film right now. So, I, I mean. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll see. Now, I True. actually. Right. <laughs> even though this movie is kind of a bad movie in many ways, I've always had a special soft spot for this. And that's how I'm kind of going to open this up. I mean, this is obviously it's the third installment in the Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, franchise there. It was uh, released on November 17th, 1989, direct to video. This thing was initially out in VHS and the, the Laserdisc format, which, Dave, I miss Laserdiscs. I just want to tell you that. Yeah. I tell You know what? We never had laser disc player but i knew someone who did same and, and it was pretty it was pretty amazing i'm with you it was it was amazing i mean it, it's and i remember um ebert on at the movies doing a special on his uh laser disc and he had raiders of the lost ark and just showing how he could go back and forth and everything with it it was i, I remember just thinking man I, I want one of those yes in fact at many of his lectures where he would do a a shot-by-shot analysis of film for an audience. He would use Laserdisc in order to oh, to do that. I didn't. I didn't know that. That's cool. It's very cool. I, I regret that I never got to attend one of those. But anyway, so like as far as like the other formats here on uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Three, um, obviously they did eventually come out with DVD versions. You had the Lionsgate DVDs in 2009. That's actually what I have. I think they're now out of print. But then Lionsgate re-released them again in 2011 as like this four film collection. And they also came with like, my best friend is a vampire repossessed and slaughter high. So it's not like you can't find these films. They're around. But um, another reason I love this film, and, and I didn't even get to the first reason yet, but, but one reason why this has a, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm out of it. One reason I love it is because the subtitle is Better Watch Out. And and I've always thought that that was a really uh, creepy Christmas carol. The you better watch out, you better not cry, you better yeah, right. Oh yeah. I mean that's freaky mm-hmm. when you listen to it. Yeah. Now you can't give this film too much credit though because I believe that they obviously ripped it off from Christmas Evil 1980 because the AKA title for that was You Better Watch Out, right? Yeah, but it's definitely right. possible that they heard about that one, <laughs> right? So. The um, But the biggest reason why this film has always been kind of a favorite to me, 
I own this book that I quote from all the time. And every time this film comes up, I mention this. So I'm sorry. It's just with the thing that I, I tell this story a lot. So, but um, <laughs> Yeah, but how cool that it's actually during the review of the film for once. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. For this time, it's appropriate. <laughs> but I own this little book called The Film Snobs Dictionary. This book is by David Camp and Lawrence Levy. Who are they? Yes, they're they're film critics and such. But honestly, how much how much true authority does this book have in the grand scheme of things? Not much. But it is a pretty entertaining book. It's really enjoyable. It talks about like H.G. Lewis and stuff like that. But anyway, in this book, they have ten snob approved sequels. So this is cool because the whole book's about film snobbery. And in the ten snob approved sequels where they give you the likes of like The Godfather Part 2, French Connection 2, The Road Warrior. Number nine on that list is Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out. And it reads, not even good for a C-grade slasher pick, but held dear by film snobs because of its cult director, Monty Hellman. He's the one who directed Tulane Blacktop. And he has yeah. a, has Monty a, Hellman directed Better Watch Out. Directed the third one. The third. Wow. He sure I did. Had no idea. That's correct. That's a, that's amazing. And, that's and ama- I would have never guessed that. And that's oh, I love Monty Hellman. Right. Yeah. yeah see. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why. And see the the reason it's on the ten snob approved sequels list has nothing really to do with the film itself. It's just that. He's beloved, and he directed it. And at the time when this book was printed, which was like 2006, it was his last film, his last feature film. But since then, happy to announce, he released Road to Nowhere from 2010. I love so good. Is that is that pretty good? I haven't seen that. I love it. I mean, you. I don't think you would like it. Okay. (laughs) It's got an ambiguous ending. Um, It's kind of like a slow moving. Uh, noir, neo noir kind of thriller. Um, you know, it's got mis- mystery elements like a Lynch film, but it doesn't have the vibe of a Lynch film. It has a totally unique vibe. Um, okay. I really like it. If you saw something like Cold Weather, or even it has a little bit of a brick feel to it, which I know you don't like as well. So, no, I, I do appreciate brick. I, I'm just not as over the moon about it as everybody else in the world that I know. <laughs> Yeah. I, I bought Road to Nowhere, but I see that it is streaming with a Prime subscription on Amazon. So I recommend people check that out if they don't mind something that has kind of a, a loose, ambiguous ending to it. It's like a romance thriller, right? It's not really horror. Yeah, right? but it has like different things going. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's got different things going on that um, you don't you kind of don't know which storyline you're watching sometimes. Yeah. Okay, it's, I got gotcha. you. Well, with the. With uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 here. Um, so let me give the premise, and then I want to hear if you guys have any thoughts about it. Uh, basically, it's a slasher flick from 1989. And um, it's like the third installment, obviously. <laughs> and I'm talking in circles again. But um, <laughs> Bill Mosley plays uh, Richard Ricky Caldwell. You know the Oh, wow. Yeah, Bill Mosley is cast in this. And... Um, now, am I understand? As I recall, I might be a little bit rusty on this, but the first three films here in Silent Night, Deadly Night series, they continue the story, like um, you know, that's it's actually the continuation of one and two. Now, four and five are more of standalone type sequels; they're not as related 
to this as, as these. So that's what you got here. And basically it's about this um, Ricky Caldwell, the, the killer Santa guy, the Christmas obsessed killer. He's in a coma. And it, it, it's really interesting because he wears this. Um, they have him in order to save his life. I, I call it a brain helmet. That's the best thing I could describe it as where there, there's like a bubble on his head, basically a plastic bubble that goes up around his head. And you, so you could see his brain. His brain is completely exposed. And then there's liquid <laughs> like blood and water and brain fluid or something that slosh around inside of it. Now, on one hand, does it look fake? Does it look something they bought at like Spencer's during Halloween? Yes, but, you know, so it's a little dorky, but on the other hand, it's kind of cool, and I kind of want one of those for Halloween, you know, like, it's, it's not terrible, you know, and, and Bill Mosley sells it, of course, I mean, we all appreciate what he can do, so anyway, you've got you've got him in this coma, and then you've got this blind teenager, yes, our pro- protagonist is a blind girl who has psychic powers, and um, she is able to kind of connect with Bill Mosley's Ricky Caldwell character and she could kind of see through his eyes and his perspective and he could see through hers. And so it has a little bit of a, I don't know, a phenomena vibe. And then what is it? Uh, Friday the 13th. Is it part seven? The Carrie version? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Okay. That's the one. Yep. Yeah. It reminds me of those. And I really feel like the, those were maybe an influence on this film and also like I think another thing that really influenced this movie was like the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff because especially in the beginning there's a lot of there's like a dream sequence we have a few dreams and it feels exactly like um Nightmare on Elm Street but anyways um this film was well before I get into that I want to ask you guys have you seen uh this film uh Silent Night Deadly Night 3 no I'm, I no I have not either okay when uh, Monty Hellman was at the Alamo Draft House in July of 2008, he was at the screening of this movie, and he said, this is one of his quotes, he said, personally, I think it's my best work. I mean, I don't think it's my best movie. In fact, it's probably my worst, to be honest. But <laughs> but, but, Ar- but Arthur Gorson asked me to come on board in March of 89, and we had our final cut ready in June of that same year. And even if the movie doesn't really hold up when I watch it now, I can't help but be proud of how quickly we put it together. Now, Josh, give, for the listeners who don't know, give them some sense of that. Like if if he was asked to join in March of 89 and then he had it ready by June. How- yeah, it's incredibly fast. I mean, sometimes just making the deal to come aboard could take four months, let alone <laughs> making and editing the film, you know. And a lot of films, I mean, wow. I don't... I, I haven't seen the film, but what I know about it doesn't doesn't lead me to believe that it was a a very long production schedule. It doesn't seem like it was a very high budget film. I'm guessing, right? Uh, just having seen the first film and and knowing what I know about this one, um, so you know it, maybe their shooting schedule is very quick. Anyway, but but especially back then when you're ta- talking about cutting on film. You know, presumably, I don't know if we shot on VHS tapes or what, but um, <laughs> certainly before HD and digital editing was available, and so you're dealing with uh, actually hand cutting these 
things on film. I mean, that's a, it's very impressive. Yeah, I think so. Turn around. I mean, you know, if the film comes up poorly, then I don't know if that's what something I would want to be shooting for, but. Well, it, and then when you watch it, the thing is, it's the, the reason it's problematic, honestly, is kind of the pacing. I mean, there's a doctor in it, a doctor who really wants to explore her psychic connection with him. And, um, that doctor that his performance is over the top, but otherwise there's not a ton to really criticize about it other than it's pacing and like, you know, things don't happen very much, very often or very like quickly. And so I think that's a big reason why people were kind of hard on this story. But another reason that I'm fond of it, which I think you might get into Josh is the fact that in the, in the story, she and her brother, and the brother's girlfriend, they're actually going to grandma's house for Christmas. Nice. And um, <laughs> and so that's nice. And she lives kind of out in the country. And, of course, you have kind of a Red Riding Hood story here where the wolf Damn. shows up first, you know. Yeah. And that that's kind of oh. like a film we've seen recently in the last couple of years. I won't mention what it is, though, because that's it'd be a spoiler. But anyways, um, I think that's kind of neat. But there are some pop culture references, which is another reason I think that a Nightmare on Elm Street franchise really influenced this. Like they mention a bunch of things, but the worst line, there are two really bad lines in this. And let me just give you guys a sense of it because I wrote them down so I could say it exactly. The, the second worst line in the movie is, who said you'd have to be the world's champion blind orphan? Right. And that's kind of dumb. But then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at the at the end, there's a there's a moment where you have a character kind of doing this heroic thing. And it's in the this is in the era of Arnold Schwarzenegger and his one liners and action films. And so <laughs> this guy um, comes out of nowhere and says this line to the killer. In order to, um, I, I don't know, it's it's supposed to be like one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger moments. And I honestly just think that it must have been an ad. But for those who don't know, in the 80s, they had cassette tapes. <laughs> and one of the brands was Memorex. And their tagline was, which is exactly what he said, is it live or is it Memorex? <laughs> and, and there was nothing in that I moment, remember, I remember that tagline for those uh, for live or Memorex. Totally, yeah. totally, yeah, and yeah. like, and and it was just and it made me buy Memorex. I had tons of Memorex tapes. <laughs> back then. Me I had too, tons of them. That's what I bought too, Doctor Shock. So I agree yeah. with you, but but honestly, like that is really out of place and weird. But some of the aftermath scenes of the kills are pretty good, so I have to give it credit for that. And then there's even. Now, you guys aren't going to believe this, but there are little nods, there are little homages in this film. Like, there's a nod to Citizen Kane, in fact. Really? <laughs> yeah. I could believe that with Monty Hellman, because he's a film, I mean, he's a legit guy, so. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the very ending of the film, um, you see, because in Citizen Kane, there was a, a really neat editing moment where you have um, one scene, one time period, where a character's saying something something merry christmas and then it cuts immediately to the the next scene which is happening at a different place at a different time and the next character says and a happy new year remember that doc remember oh yeah i remember i remember that scene absolutely yeah yep. 
Well, um, Citizen Kane, right? Yeah, and and he does that exact same thing. It is clearly a little bit of an homage to that, which I thought was was pretty cool. And you know, wow. I, I respect that in a film like this. It's weird to have something like, is it live or is it Memorex? Which now, <laughs> it, now is totally yeah. bizarre because people are like, what the hell is that? Yeah, people are going to see the movie. Now. Now they're going to say, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's kind of like, Josh, when you were talking about in Santa Slay, when it, when they were like dogging on Samoans for no reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just not going to make sense. But And then you have a back-to-back back, Citizen Kane line. So that's weird. Wow, that's something. It's almost like the old, the old what is it, the scary movies, the mm-hmm. scary movie series. You watch those now. People watch them now, and, and some of the jokes are like, "What the hell? What the hell is he talking about?" And because it was a reference, like two thousand or something, yeah. like the whole "What's up?" They they did all they did a whole scene in that in scary movie. I remember watching them. Like <laughs> the people aren't going to understand them. My kids like, what the, "What's he doing? That does what? Why are they doing that? They nobody's yeah. going to know." It really dates it. It's one. Of, it's one of the problems with putting current pop culture references in movies. Is that uh, later generations are going to sit there and they're not going to know what you're talking? No, it just cheapens it too for me. It does. I agree 100. Yeah. So filmmakers, don't do that, please. Keep your movies timeless. Um, the other thing is that I got to give credit on this. There are a few stabbing scenes in this because obviously it's a slasher flick, and the stab, the foley work on this, the stab sound effects sound real. I mean, they kind of turn your stomach. There are a, a few stabs, like they're not super graphic in the attack, but you hear it and it sounds exactly what I imagine it would sound like to stab somebody like in the belly, for example. And then when we see an aftermath scene, the aftermath scenes, as I said, are kind of strong. So um, I'm impressed with that. There is one really weird, bizarre stabbing scene where you have um, the uh, the Caldwell character, Bill Mosley's character gets stabbed through the arm, like through his forearm. And when it goes through, like the sound is very good. It actually looks pretty good, but it's so bizarre because a a character is being attacked is being choked. And then another character tries to come and save the person being choked, stabs the killer in the arm. And then inexplicably, like I would challenge listeners to watch this see if you can explain it to me the character who did the stabbing runs away out of the scene for like 30 seconds and and we have no idea why that happens it's really bizarre (laughs) it's the funniest scene and i'm sure just me describing it like this on an audio podcast doesn't quite do it but it's pretty cool another interesting thing is um because this this character has been traumatized by santa claus red is a trigger for him and so, huh. I, I don't know, that reminds me of, like, the village, those we don't speak of. You know, it's sure. a bad color, <laughs> bad color. You know, you get that. And then, and then there's, a, there's a, I almost recorded this sequence because I think it's so fascinating. There is a sequence in here. I mean, this came out, presumably it was written in, like, 1988-ish, came out in 89. They talk about um, a, cell, a cellular phone, a car phone, basically, And they have this conversation about it, and it's weird how relevant and how much it pertains to even our day now. Like, for example, um, they they actually use the phrase in this conversation, hands-free option. 
you can get a hands-free option. And I'm like, okay, this must be a commercial, obviously, for the time. <laughs> but I didn't even know hands-free option, that whole concept, was even available back in the 80s. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. No, they were very, they were big car phones back then. Yeah, that's, that's neat. Know. So anyways, um, this is this a good film? No. No. I mean, is it very uh, Christmassy? Not really. I mean, he doesn't like dress up like Santa Claus or anything like that. There's, of course, there's a, a drunken Santa Claus. You've got the drunken Santa Claus trope in this. You must have. I mean, that yeah. goes from Miracle on 34th Street all the way to, um, you know, horror cinema. But, um, Good tidings, 2016. Yeah, that's right. All the way to present. <laughs> but, but it's not a great film, but just because it's in the top 10 snob approved sequels, and because they go to grandma's house and because um the brother's girlfriend she's a a flight attendant she is um she's very lovely and she makes an appearance in the film if you know what i mean <laughs> so like is she is she you know the younger me you know was like always impressed by that so um this is a, this is an interesting little oddity and uh, i get even so though I give it a four out of 10 because like I said, not great, but uh, I would still call it a very low priority rental. I think most people out there would probably say avoid this, but you know, for me, I keep coming back to it. I've probably seen it now several times. Actually, I just watched it today on my lunch break uh, so I could get it in um, for this review. So anyway, that's uh, silent night, deadly night three better watch out from 1989, four out of 10 a very low priority rental. You guys going to check it out or what? Yeah, yeah. I probably will. <laughs> Definitely. At some yeah. point in time. I'm curious. I, you know, I can't help but be with Bill Mosley and Monty Hellman. Just them alone makes it interesting to check out for me. So. I totally agree. And for those who are fans of the film, the terror from 1963, that's a Jack Nicholson film um, that, that makes an appearance in this movie as well. So I thought that was interesting. But anyways, okay, guys, let's get down to it now. Let's move into Dr. Shock's feature review of Don't Open Till Christmas. A homicidal maniac is loose at Christmas. His target is Santa Claus. His motives baffle Scotland Yard. Without a pattern for murder, no one dressed as Santa Claus is safe. His death toys are a spear, a gun, an open razor, a dagger, or an old-fashioned garage. Execution by any means. Don't open till Christmas. Some Santa Clauses ignore the warnings. He surely wouldn't attack a woman. Don't open till Christmas. Okay. There's a series of murders happening in the big city. Someone is targeting Santa Clauses. You know, the guys who dress up as Santa Claus for parties or to collect for charity or whatnot. And uh, someone is going around killing them in a different way every time, which is kind of interesting. Uh, he's not he's not repeating the same uh, technique uh, any time. No. Uh, so there is a um, a chief inspector. This is all ha- I'm sorry. This is set in London, by the way. There's a chief inspector uh, from Scotland Yard and he has uh, his assistant and they're uh, doing some investigations. What happened was uh, there's a girl uh, whose father, wealthy father, uh, was playing Santa Claus at, at a party and uh, was was murdered uh, by this killer. And um, they're sort of uh, focusing the attention on uh, her boyfriend. 
because he had the most to gain with the father out of the way. The daughter inherits all the all the money and he's looking to marry her. Uh, but interestingly enough, it's not, you know, they, they come to find out it's not him. And they're trying to figure out who is this killer as Santa's just keep uh, drunk. Santa's just keep stumbling into the street and dying almost instantly. There they are again. Drunk Santa's. Uh, oh, yeah. When when there are drunk Santa's, um, this killer is right there. Yeah, he seems to know exactly where a drunk Santa is going to stumble out onto the street. <laughs> um, and so that's basically the the, the setup of it. Uh, it. It does play out like a mystery uh, to a degree, you know, trying to figure out um, who uh, or who's responsible, who is this killer, and, and what is their motive. And um, it's one of those ty- type of movies. Look, let's just say it's not a good movie. Okay. It's definitely not a good movie, but it's one of those movies that I had fun with because there are parts of it that are so insane. I mean, there are times when I'm laughing, I'm I'm sort of laughing at it. There are times when I'm actually kind of enjoying, like the kill scenes, every single kill scene is different. Some of them are ridiculous. There's a Santa for some reason out in in the middle of an alley cooking on a grill. He's, most, he's doing chestnuts on an open fire. He's, oh, that one it is. Chestnuts on an open yeah. fire. Yes, just happens to be a grill. And, a, and he's garroted and he falls on the grill and he bursts into flames. And it's just a, a, this over-the-top scene. Uh, one of many. I mean, the very first opening uh, sequence here is, is very over-the-top. Uh, Santa um, hooks up with his girlfriend. and Or the guy playing as Santa hooks up with his girlfriend. They go into a car and they start making out. And we get that, you know, POV shot of the, of the killer. And he's sort of going down to the car and he's looking in the car. And the guy just turns around and goes, hey, buzz off. And then goes back to making out with the girlfriend. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> this guy's still lingering around. They're sort of ignoring him. And then he finally, um, well, then, you know, something happens to the two of them. We won't go into too much detail. Well, I guess I can't see opening scene. They both get stabbed. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the guy jumps out. He gets stabbed. The girl tries to get away and runs into a corner and she gets stabbed. But this movie's got it all. This got it's got stabbings. It's got shootings, which is amazing because there's one shooting and then the gun disappears. You never see the gun again for the rest of the movie. Spears through the head or spears spears through the head, genital mutilation, electrocution. You name it, this movie will kill you in any way it can. And that's one of the things that I had fun with it uh, with the movie. And I, something else that I really liked about it is. There are parts of it that the the dialogue is so ridiculous. And just what happens in the scene is so ridiculous. They they have up one, like, there's a scene set in Scotland Yard, and there's the chief inspector, and he comes walking into the office, and his uh, second-in-command is sitting there. And and you can see on the board they've got, like, four big red marks to signify the four deaths that have occurred of the Santas that have been killed. And uh, his assistant goes, so do you think we're dealing with a psychopath? No, <laughs> no, you know, it's, it, and probably my favorite though, and, and, uh, is, is late in the film and I'm not going to go into too much detail cause it's late in the film. A girl is being held captive in this basement that happens to have a mattress. So she got a good night's sleep, but anyway, she's being held captive in this basement. She manages to, to hit her, um, captor in the head with a board. And runs to the door. Now, this, this, I, I, I laughed out loud at this part because she runs to the door and the door is locked. And she turns around and asks the guy for the key. <laughs> this guy, she just pounded on the head with a piece of wood. 
She turns around and said, hey, where's the key? Wow. Weird. I, it is It is one of those type of films <laughs> where it's not a good movie. Okay, let's just get that out. It's not a good movie. There are, I knew 15 minutes in that whatever the big reveal was going to be at the end, it was going to make no sense. And that's exactly <laughs> what it is. The big reveal doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's even more ridiculous when they get to the flashback to, ex- to explain how this guy, the, 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 the how killer it doesn't make sense. <laughs> to, had to get how the killer ha- started to hate Christmas. It makes even less sense. You know, it's, it's just one of those kind of movies. It's a slasher, but it's definitely got, you know, and all slashers to a degree are, are I guess, uh, have sort of roots in exploitation. But this movie's got a lot of exploitation to it, too. There's a whole scene with um, with a woman posing um, for nude photographs that's just crowbarred into this movie. It doesn't really make any sense <laughs> to the plot or anything that, like that's that. That's so well put, Dave. That's perfectly said because it there's absolutely no reason for this scene to exist and it's just so bizarre especially when you have reasonable options for nudity to come up later in the film that actually right. makes sense with like the characters and where and then that there there's no nudity but this character for at any given moment is going to open her blouse to whomever she's speaking right. to <laughs> right there's a scene so where weird. The- the cops show up to talk to her, and and they she just she just flashes them. I can't even remember why. That they just a little bit. That has not been say, my experience. <laughs> they say, "Listen, lady, you're lucky that we didn't arrest you. You were, you know, you were indecent. You know, that's what it was. Decent exposure." And she indecent. says, "I'm an, a professional." She just opens her robe to them. She goes, "Is this looking so decent?" Yeah. Why is this happening? And then one of the cops goes and sits next to her on the bed. <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> and then you have this scene: the the, the rich girl whose whose father was killed. Um, she starts um, suspecting the chief inspector and and cozying up to him and flirting with him and 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 going out to dinner with him. At the same time, she's thinking he, he's she's suspecting he might be the murderer. There's all this crazy stuff. And the other going big on. option is her boyfriend, who, uh, I mean, we've we've gone out of order enough that it's hard to it's hard to make any yeah, sense. Yeah, right, but, right. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense anyway. I mean, it's it's a pretty slapped together uh, story here. It just feels right. really pieced together out of um, nonsense. The whole, you know, Dave talked about how he just kills any Santa. That really intrigued me before I'd seen the film because I thought, well, this is a cool idea. Like a lot of times, like, you know, we've talked about we've got a killer Santa. I like this. This is someone who's targeting Santas. Kind of exciting. It's got a bit of a Jack the Ripper vibe. And this movie really, despite all of the big kill scenes it has, it doesn't really feel like a slasher vibe. It feels more like a serial killer movie because it takes place over several days. Right. You know, we're in the daylight with the police and all these characters and and, you know, the killings are happening um, in kind of these discrete locations with these Santa Clauses. But it is just so weird because, yeah, it could be at a packed company party with, like, 300 people. Or it could be in, like, the back room of a peep show. And yet somehow this guy is finding Santas. And He's just them. finding them anywhere. The minute a drunk Santa stumbles on the street, this guy's there. I thought that was amazing. This guy yeah. knows exactly where a drunk Santa is going to stumble out onto the street and he's going to take care of him. And the one at the party is amazing. These people are sitting there. The Santa's holding a microphone, talking to a crowd of people 
All of a sudden, there is a spear sticking in the back of his head and out his mouth. The no one's looking is, for the, the killer. The crying. No one's looking for the killer. They're just looking at him. No one's screaming. No one's doing anything. They're just looking and go, ooh, look at that. They're like, that's the kill from happy birthday to me. Well, it is, yeah. But, but it's just so, um, the, the crowd reaction, I was just like, nobody even cares. It's almost like they're just going, hey, that's kind of, that's something else. Look at that. That guy's got a spear sticking out of his mouth. It, it was, but you know, it's one of those movies. I mean, I got to say, did I like, I had fun watching it because it's crazy. And it's, it's, it's a, there were, I've been laughing at it sometimes. There were times when I was yeah. literally laughing out loud at the dialogue, at some of the scenes, at just how insane some of it was. And it gets that way all the time. And there's this, a, a late scene where a woman's looking at somebody who had fallen. She assumes he's dead. She just gets closer and closer and closer. You know what's going to happen, but it takes forever to happen because she <laughs> just keeps getting closer and closer and closer to this guy. It's it's just it's just crazy. It's insane, and it was it, it really does feel like you're right, Josh. It's not so much a slasher as just sort of kills piece together. One kill, here's another kill, and everyone is different. One Santa, he just boom puts a gun in his mouth, blows his blows blows his head off. And then the gun disappears. You never see the gun appear again. Then he goes back to using very, you know, uh, you know, sort of the knives or the razors or whatever. Uh, it's just let's just kill Santa every single way we can kill a Santa in this movie. Well, that makes sense, though, because what you're saying about it being pieced together. Um, I have two facts on this. That's all. This is a. Uh, from the producers of pieces so it's funny that it's structured in a way that doesn't really make sense because pieces has some really weird continuity as well the other thing is um as we review this right now it's december 21st exactly 32 years to the day that this was released in the usa so today is the anniversary of its release 32 years ago that's something. And and you even see, Judge, if you think about it, the, there's a scene, I can't, 32 years, my goodness. I can't believe 1984 <laughs> has been 32 years. That just hit me. Holy cow. <laughs> That's amazing. We're getting old, Dave. Um, yeah, we are. Uh, but anyway, there's that scene where um, Edward Perdome, I guess, is the star, where he's standing under the Scotland Yard sign. He just pauses there. And yeah. they get the shot of him under this because, like, it's almost like, hey, look, see, I'm part of Scotland Yard. See the sign? See the sign? <laughs> you know, well, he's also like, the director, right? And he's he's the guy that's in pieces. So he's um, right. One of exactly. The, uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but it's <laughs> it's one of those movies. It's very, very difficult to recommend to somebody because I could see somebody, you know, breaking down my door with, you know, the whole pitchfork and torches and everything and dragging me out into the streets for recommending this movie. It's not good. <laughs> I'm just going to lay that out there. It's not a good movie. Okay. There, 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 there are scenes that, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's one sequence where the, the, uh, the inspector is walking through this, um, I guess, open market in the middle of the day. Then they go to a night, kill a Santa. And then it's back to the middle of the day with the inspector walking around. I just knocked my beer onto the ground. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's it's one of those kind of movies where it's not. There are scenes that you're going to be looking and say, "What the heck? Where did this thing come from?" But yet, you have fun while you're watching it because sometimes you're laughing. Most of the time, you're laughing at it, and some 
sometimes you, it's just there are such outlandish things happening that you just it's, you you can't believe it. You're like, what what are, what are they doing here? What what are they putting what are they putting in? You're right, Josh. There's a whole scene where a guy pays for a peep show and there's no nudity whatsoever. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then in a typical police interrogation. Like question and answer session, there is. <laughs> yeah, right. Cops talking to somebody, all of a sudden there's there's nudity. <laughs> <laughs> the killer here, Jay, you, you will appreciate, has kind of Alice Sweet Alice esque mask. Oh, that's right, he does. Okay. Um, and it's interesting. It's 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 a little bit different. It's you know, it's kind of like in a smiling orientation but it has that same i guess Alice sweet else is too this is more smiley but it ha- but it's that clear plastic interesting i like that and what's real what's really something is he is not just out to kill any santa because he does come across a santa and it happens to be uh, a nude woman in a santa suit and, mm-hmm. and the killer just sort of goes <laughs> and sort of giggles and runs away <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> He caresses her body with a razor blade, and then yes, he, he doesn't does. run away. Yes, he does. <laughs> so oh. he he does. He's not just killing any Santa. He does have a discerning taste. Although she doesn't. I mean, she finds herself in peril later on as well. I, I believe. Well, but. true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. Exactly. And I don't know that. I mean, everybody in this movie finds himself in peril. Sometimes yeah. for it, it's just like out of left field. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait, what's happening to this person? I thought they were, you know, what's going on here? But anyway, it, it's one of those kind of movies. Excellent. Such a weird movie. Such a weird movie. <laughs> really so what do you rate Don't Open Till Christmas, Dr. Shock? Okay. This is where it gets tricky because <laughs> I am going to rate it 7.5, but I'm going to say avoid. Because oh. I am not going to be responsible for sending <laughs> anybody else to watch this movie because I don't think they're going to be happy if I tell them to watch this movie so but what's the I had seven fun. i had a good time with it i had a fun i had fun with it. i gotta be honest with you, i had fun watching this movie i had a blast <laughs> but it's but it's not good okay so i can't really tell anybody else to see it so i'm going 7.5 but i gotta tell everybody else avoid it if you do check it out don't blame me okay all right what about you wolfman josh I go the exact opposite end of the scale as, as uh, Dave. I'm going to give it a 3.5, but I'm going to say rent it because I think what, <laughs> basically I agree with what he said. It's it's very entertaining, uh, but it's just awful. It's awful. I mean, it's so poorly made. So so my recommendation, you know, we've just come off doing four episodes, 13 hours of 80 slashers. And compared to a lot of those films we watched, this is there. It's watchable in that type of context so if you feel like you're in the mood for one of those really bad 80s slashers but in a christmas context you've already seen silent night bloody night you've already checked out silent night bloody night three (laughs) (laughs) right um you know i would say don't open till christmas is oddly like shockingly entertaining for how nonsensical it is so uh badly made movie in in a lot of ways um so yeah that's my 3.5 but yeah you could watch it you could rent it Okay. All right. And that's uh, Don't Open Till Christmas. And that's from 1984. It came out 32 years ago today. That's pretty cool. Okay, guys. This is our main event review right here. This actually, this film was reviewed on the very first ever incarnation of this podcast, which was the weekly horror movie podcast, episode one, way back in 
October of 2011. So let's revisit it again here with these hosts. So we're going to move into our a feature review of a movie that Josh requested. I'm not sure why, but it's called Frozen. Arendelle. It's completely frozen. Cold, 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 cold. Do you guys hate me? <laughs> I don't even I don't even have kids of that age and I'm sick of the music of that movie. <laughs> so this is not the Disney Frozen. This is Adam Green's Frozen. Last run, gotta make it count. No one knows that we're up here. This is so messed up. We're up here all week. We're going to die. I'm going to die of your... Frozen is a 2010 film directed by Adam Green and written by Adam Green. It stars Emma Bell, Sean Ashmore, and Kevin Zagers. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. But um, it's got Kane Hodder in a bit part. He's uh, the stunt coordinator here on the film. And uh, a friend of mine, Adam Johnson, in, in a bit part as well. So it was fun to see him. On the screen, uh, this basically the premise here is that a couple and their buddy get stuck on a chairlift at night and they're in danger of freezing to death. And so they have to decide what are we going to do here? Basically, they have to figure out how they can get off this chairlift or risk being frozen. Um, so listen, my interest in covering this film was because since I very first met you guys within the context of horror podcasting, people have been giving Jay here crap about liking this movie. And while I don't like it as much as he does, I certainly have my issues with it. Um, I don't think it's that bad of a film that it's something that um, should haunt you as much as it's haunted him. (laughs) So I was curious to kind of get into that discussion. And then when I found out Dave hadn't even seen it, I thought, well, this will be interesting Dave's bringing this fresh perspective to Frozen, and we can talk about it um, yeah, in a way that we never have before. So I, Jay, I feel like Jay and I have actually discussed this, and I don't remember in what context because I wasn't involved in that other podcast, but um, mm-hmm. I know we've talked about it at some point. I don't know if it was on the show or off the show, but I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into this review. So. Sure. Okay. Well, how would you like to start it then, Josh? So you... Um, which, what do you want to address first then of what you said? What I would like to say here is why do you love Frozen so much? Then I'd love to hear Dave's review and then I would like to rip it to shreds and kind of just see where we're at after that. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Cause that's, that's weird. Cause that's the reason why Bill Shetty picked it for me on the weekly horror movie podcast. He exactly wanted to ask, why do I love Frozen so much? And so, um, well, first of all, it I love the premise. I remember when I first heard the premise, I was at like, it, it turns out, coincidentally, I was at a work company Christmas party when I first yeah. heard about this film. So that's full circle. And, and when I heard that premise, I'm like, I am so in for that. Because as we talked about earlier with ATM, it's one of those where you're, you're thinking the whole time, what would I do? if I were in this situation. So that's fascinating to me. And then another thing about it is you've got characters who are in a predicament that becomes deadlier 
the longer they're stuck in that predicament, that perishable situation. And this is something that I would consider survival horror. Um, and because I, I love anything that could actually happen in real life. And it just makes you think, oh, my goodness, I hope that never happens to me. And if it did, what would I do? So that's the first part of it that I like. The next part of it is I like how some of it kind of subverts our expectations. Even though there are very few characters in this film, like there are three main characters and that's basically it. And there's no um, quote unquote monster per se other than just natural elements that one would encounter in the wilderness or from the, the cold, you know. So I love that. But it still manages to subvert our expectations. I, I think that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that happen in this. Like you think you know which characters are which. Like, okay, which one's the hero? Which one's this? Which one's that? And I think the film is a little bit surprising the way it unfolds. And even though I will admit that the rewatch value isn't as fulfilling as I hoped it would be, because I do love this film, but I just, I will never forget the first time I did finally get my hands on it and got to watch it. I was like wrapped up in a blanket. I felt so cold and shivery. I don't know why I had that experience, but I did. And it just... It really affected me, and there's a, uh, well, I, I don't want to go into too much of the detail. I don't know how much we're going to talk about, like, things that happen, but there's something that happens that's, I, I guess it's the most horrific thing that happens in the film to one of the characters that's, like, one of the scariest things I could possibly imagine, and the horror in that scenario, that circumstance the witnessing of it from the other characters, the experiencing it from the victim character. That's just, it is unthinkable to me as far as that goes. But those are just a couple of points. Are I you won't... talking about the one kind of like earlier in the film or late, late, late in the film? Yeah, it would be the one earlier in the film. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yes. But um, how about that for getting started? That'll be my introductory comments. Well, that's interesting. What about you, Dave? I'm curious because you you just saw the film for the first time today. Is that right? Just saw it for the first time this morning. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, I'd never seen it before, and um, I liked it. I really did. I I was uh, wrapped up in it too. Um, you know, I, I it's one of those things where the characters are starting off. You know, the we're getting sort of the exposition of the characters at the beginning as to the the dynamics. Uh, you got the guy and the uh, brought his girlfriend along, and the best friend is there, wondering why the girlfriend is there. Uh, sort of standard stuff that you've seen in other movies before. Um, but it's it is there is something about that this is a real life. This could be a real life situation. This could happen to somebody. Um, and I was wondering if it was based on a true story. I'm guessing it's not because I haven't found that anywhere that this is something that. Uh, no, it, it's not, but no. it, but it's one of those things where you could see it happening. Well, you know, especially with the way it, it sort of played out where the one guy said, Oh no, there's three people up there. Um, as soon as they come down and, and mm-hmm. then three other people come down and this other guy thinks, okay, well, everything's all right. And it is a long way up there on this, on this, uh, uh, you know, lift. Yeah. So I, it's one of those things where you could see it happening and yeah, the minute all of those lights go out and they, they're there by themselves and it, it starts to set in that, 
nobody's going to come for them. Nobody yeah. knows they're there. They've got to do something or they're going to die. And they're, what, 100 feet off the ground, whatever they happen to be. Um, it, it's, it's intense. And I thought it was paced pretty well because I didn't realize. I looked at the time at one point, and it was already like an hour 10 into the movie, and I had no idea that that had flown by as <laughs> yeah. quickly as it did. Yeah. I think my favorite moment is minute 35 about I looked I, I looked at it because I wanted to know, OK, where what did it take to get to this moment? And I think the movie starts getting good right around minute 35 when they're they're kind of they're sitting on the lift trying to distract themselves from the fact that they're stuck up there. And the one friend is, is saying, like, all right, you know, name uh, name the celebrities you'd like to hook up with or whatever right right and the, the one friend just stone cold says one of us is gonna have to jump <laughs> i love yeah. that moment that to me that's when the film started okay now this is gonna get real and yes that's, right that's when it started getting good to me and, exactly and to answer dr shuck's earlier question about whether this is real the the lore on that is <laughs> like um supposedly adam green was watching the news or something and he just heard something in passing like one of the news stories that there were people who were stuck on a lift but it was it was brief it wasn't like this kind of a thing but he thought wow right, that'd be a great premise they for were a there course. yeah i, I and, mean i i just heard the, him say this today do you want me to tell you exactly what it was yeah tell it yeah straighten this I, out he, he was just actually watching the weather and uh he you know he was in los angeles and he said you know in la you don't really need to watch the weather because it's the same all the time, basically. But sometimes, you know, the, it's the images, the background images they show during the weather around from around the state are what are cool. And one of them showed a ski resort like Big Bear or something in California. And he was looking at the chairlift and he thought, man, that's crazy because that, he's scared of heights. And he thought, that's crazy that people get on those things. And I can't believe I've, I've ever gotten on one of those things. And then his mind just started going and going and going. Um, and of course, there are real cases of people getting trapped on ski lifts, not to this extent. But in his home right. state, he comes from back east. And in New England, uh, they have a ski resort, at least in his hometown, where it would be closed during the weekdays and then open only on weekends. And uh, in this case, in Mount Holliston, where they're, where they're at, um, right. you know, that's the case. They, they close on Sunday night, and then they're not open again until Friday. And so these characters are stuck in the situation where, uh, you know, they're going to starve to death or die from exposure before anybody sees them again. So they have to figure out some way to act. Now, for me, I, you know, this is one of those films that just when you know enough about a situation, it just really influences your viewing of it. I had that experience with Green Room earlier this year. The authenticity of that film was so important to me because it was the world that I had spent a lot of time. Well, Frozen is the same thing. I worked at a ski resort for four years. And so for me, a film like this, authenticity is key for me to buy into it. And it's just, I know that they worked hard on it, but to me, it's just so laughable. Like the premise, it could not even really happen. I mean, you would have to work so hard for something like this to happen. Uh, and I think the plot is interesting. Like if you watch that scene where the the lift operators are switching places and then somebody else is calling down with the last chair. And like there are all these contrivances right there in that scene. And it's because it would be so difficult for this to actually happen um, that, you know, it's, it doesn't even really 
it's not even really plausible. But not impossible, Josh. It's nearly impossible. And I think under the they didn't really sell me because uh, even within the way they make it transpire in the film, there are so many protocols that aren't being followed that are in place to ensure that something like this doesn't happen. They're already, you know, breaking like multiple protocols for though. They don't even show on screen that they don't address for something like this to have been able to happen. So like just for me, for my own peace of mind, if I was making a film like this, I would have to come up with a really plausible reason that this slipped by the workers and what they do works. If you don't know anything about how this the safety at ski resorts, you know, work to yeah. ensure that this happen, but it doesn't really make sense if you know anything about how the ski patrol works or how, you know, lift operation works. And so that, like that was already a little bit hard for me to, you know, to look past, but I, you know, you have to, that you're, you know, that's minute 12 of the movie or whatever. Um, some of the things they do on the lift too, like, it's just like, this is not, Correct. And so th- those little things are really difficult for me to see my way past. This time for the first viewing ever, I thought, okay, I'm going to look past all of that stuff because I just want to enjoy the film um, on its own terms and not bringing my own you know, knowledge and baggage to it and just kind of like take it for what it is. Um, I mostly liked it. I think there's still a few things that were problematic for me. And I think for, partially it was just the stakes of the characters not really caring about who they were. And, and this is lazy film criticism to just compare it to another movie, but I, I, I get a lot of value out of film comparisons. And so I know it's not like uh, the hey. smartest film criticism. No, right? that's I, what Roger Ebert did. I think it's great film criticism. Open water to me is kind of like the equivalent of what you have here. That to me, that's like, you've got these characters who are just stuck in this place. It's getting, like you say, it's getting more deadly. They need to do something about it, but there's not a lot they can do. Mm-hmm. And I think open water, you know, as much criticism as that film has had, I think it's far more effective on the character end of things. And I th- feel like if they had done a better job with these characters, this would have worked for me um, after the suspension of my disbelief with kind of the, the reason that the lift stuff wouldn't have worked, you know? I love it and that I you think- said open water, by the way, because yeah, that on the weekly horror movie podcast, that's how I describe this open water on a ski lift. It's exactly and that's right. how that's I was. You can't help but think of that movie, right? Um, when when you're watching Frozen, because it does have the same sort of, you know, two people just left out there. For open water would be even more terrifying for me because you don't know what's beneath you. Right, you can't see what's beneath you, and you know that even if they come looking for you, the odds of them finding you after you drifted for a while is 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 great yeah so that that's something now i am coming from somebody who has no experience with with uh ski lodges or skiing the one time i was on skis i almost broke my neck and that was my ktel fun skis when i was like 11 years old (laughs) so i'm not a skier and i know nothing about it so i as somebody who does not have that experience, obviously I didn't pick up on, on the things that you did, Josh, and it seemed very realistic to me. Um, yeah. but, uh, but I'm not coming from an area of knowledge. So well, it's good. And I think that's great. And I think if people can buy into, I wish there weren't like the falsehoods of just like how the cable would shred his gloves the way it did, or those things are kind of annoying to me. Cause you know, like yeah. it would, it would, if he was to try to slide on the cable, you know, his gloves would not hold up for a few seconds of that. 
But oh. if if he's if you're actually just kind of like grabbing it and moving your hand, you could probably okay. do it all the way down to the bottom and be be okay. You know. Oh wow! But it's could not, you? It's not razor wire. It, it's right. Sharp. You... The, it would create friction that it would tear through the gloves pretty handily if he was to slide again. You know, slide his hand across it with his body weight. Right. But the thing is, one could not hang like that and walk down anyway. I mean, that that Unless really you had wouldn't... extreme upper body strength. I mean, yeah, I mean, I seriously doubt that would be an option for most people. Yeah, I'm glad to know that. I was going to ask you about that, exactly how sharp are those cables. So. I also just don't, I mean, yeah, there, there are other things that happen with, you know, the animal threats, and I just don't, I don't seem to track for me. But um, Wow. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, I liked it. I enjoy it. It's, it's fun in a, kind of the fantasy of it, but I just don't think you're going to see those situations. My criticisms, um, my biggest things are like the first 20 minutes of this movie are terrible. Like um, oh, yeah. I, it's really boring and the performances are not great at all. And in fact, um, the very first time I ever watched this, I almost turned it off within the first 20 minutes, which is something <laughs> I never do. So I just want to tell people if you're, if you're checking out Frozen from 2010 for three bucks on Amazon, by the way, then just hang in there because it does get a lot better. My other criticism was um, the continuity with the makeup. Um, the The makeup is not great in this, like the the exposure and frostbite and stuff like that. Those it's not consistent, and that that's unfortunate about this film. Yeah. But but you mentioned animals in this. They did use real animals, which yeah. was kind of cool to me. So I like that as well. But anything else, Doctor Shock? Um, no, I don't think I had as much problem with the beginning as you did. But it is very sort of standard to these kind of movies um, with with those type of characters. I mean, there's nothing really new happening at the beginning. Uh, it's just sort of setting up the story, and and it's uh, it's something that we've seen a lot before. You know, that sort of setup, that sort of dynamic with three characters, and, and so little of it pays off to who these characters are. That's the true. frustrating thing about it with me. Like, go ahead and take that time, but I don't feel like, and maybe I'm wrong. I just haven't thought about the film enough. But it doesn't seem like the character flaws of the character dynamics that they set up during that time ultimately pay off in a way that's meaningful later on. Right now, were they going for just the day? Was they were they up there just for the day, or was it a weekend thing? It, it seems like they live in the town there because the guys go kind of a lot, and this is kind of their okay. thing. Yeah. And okay. They meet a girl, and they're kind of like, "Hey, I'm going to be up here next weekend if you are," you know. So. Right. Okay, because there's there's a, a scene where the girl's talking about her puppy, and yeah. I didn't know how long. That she she's very nervous that the puppy is going to starve because nobody's going to feed it, and I was thinking, well, I I didn't know how long she left it alone on her own, you know, just said, yeah. okay, well, I'm going now anyway. So there was there was that. I do agree with you, Jay, a little bit about the makeup too. Um, it did seem a little inconsistent, um, but although there is one scene with with a hand, that man, that just I that I was wincing in pain. Oh yeah. There are just yeah. so many dumb things like why – like I've been on a million chairlifts and uh-huh. the minute the wind picks up, the minute it gets colder, everybody pulls their hoods on, zips their coats all the way up. Well, their- I, did wonder, I did wonder why they didn't pull their hats all the way down. They don't do a lot of stuff. Neither, neither of the guys even zip their coats up all the way. Right. <laughs> like 
you're afraid you're going to freeze to death that so you're not even going to zip the coat up? Is it like, are you trying to look cool that much? That like, right. I mean, just trust me, like having been in those situations, you're going to want that. But you're I would think that if, that if you're, yeah, foot covering if you're, your neck and your ears. Exactly. And if your face is that cold, you will put your hat all the way down. Yeah. Or put your, from put those your elements. up over your face. I mean, there, there are options that they, right. you know, it's just as weird. It's just as weird uh, as a choice to me. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. Well, are we ready to rate this, this puppy? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, um, I'll just tell you. So Bill Shetty back in the day, he gave this a 2.5 out of 10. He said avoid, but Bill Shetty was wrong. <laughs> I think. Huh. I think. So what What do you say about it, Doctor Chuck? What do you rate it? I'd probably go with a seven, and I'd say it's worth a rental, definitely. Okay. Don't right. open until Christmas. He gave a seven point five. Everybody, just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah. But I also said avoid. I also said avoid. So yes. Nobody else will have that same experience. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and what about you, Wolf fan Josh? What do you rate Frozen for 2010? I give this one a six, and I say I think this could be a high-priority rental for some people. I think this time of year, it's cold outside. This is a cheap online rental. Um, you know, it, if you can suspend your disbelief or if you don't know about these things, you don't care, uh, this is a lot of fun. I think it's a fun little pot boiler thriller. Uh-huh. And, um, and I and I do have a public service announcement for people who do intend to go skiing afterward. But go ahead, Jay. Take care. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for me, this is an 8 out of 10. I love this film. It's a buy. I will say, though, upon revisiting it, I don't love it as much each. You know, when I watch it, the rewatch value isn't quite as high as my initial experience. But I still love it. I think it's a great survival horror film. And if you like open water, I think you'll love this so what's your uh, PSA about skiing, Josh? Yeah, I mean, well, and I was just listening to Adam Green today. You know, he thought this was his best film he'd ever made at this point. You know, this is before Hatchet 2 and other things. And although I, I don't really agree with him, I think Digging Up the Marrow is probably far superior. And I enjoy Holliston for what it is. Um, I think this is pretty good and uh, and worth, if you're an Adam Green fan, this is worth checking out just to see all this stuff. Um, my PSA for skiing is this just is not plausible. So if you have seen this movie and you're like, well, I'm never going skiing now, <laughs> just this, this is not going to happen to you or any of your loved ones. <laughs> like it's, it's almost impossible. <laughs> if you're on a ski lift and it stops, these characters really overreact to that, especially for guys who supposedly live in town. Um, that's very common for the lift to stop. There's any number of reasons it could stop. Almost none of them are serious. And, um, you know, it, there are very normal reasons that it could stop three times every time you get on the lift you, from between the top and the bottom. So um, just don't be afraid. Get out there. Get on the hill. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, uh, and, don't, and don't let horror movies keep you indoors. <laughs> Because I think I think we tend to get scared of things like this, especially if we don't understand them. I, I know Jaws kept me with a healthy fear of the water for many, many, many years. So. Uh huh. Yes, that's right. Which which speaks to the effectiveness of the horror film, right? I mean, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yep. So that's our review of Frozen. Let us know what you think in the show notes for episode one hundred and seven. And as we start winding down to wrap up, we had a listener question on Twitter. 
and it came from James Creviston. You want to read that to us, Josh? Yeah, so James had a question uh, for us, and and I want to put the question out to our audience for their help as well because it's it's a difficult one, guys, and I don't know um, if we can handle it on our own. Probably not. <laughs> uh, James had seen this film as a child, and he was ne- has never been able to figure out what it was that he saw. And so he gave us a short description here to read on the show. Um, if any of our listeners have any ideas of what this might be, you can email jhorrormoviepodcast.gmail.com. We'll do some research between now and the next episode and see what we can come up with. And hopefully with our powers combined uh, between us and with our listeners, we'll be able to figure out for James uh, what this film was. So James says, the movie I remember seeing as a kid has only one scene that I can remember. And it's on a train in what appears to be hell. I only remember that most of it was a red hue. This was in the 80s. It was on cable all the time. The man in it kind of looked like Christopher Walken, only younger. I have searched all of his movies, but not found it. I know this is vague, but this is the scene that scared me so much as a kid, and I would like to see the whole film so I can understand why that scene freaked me out so much. So... I had no idea what this is based on that description. I mean, the two things that like came to mind while I was reading that were Jacob's Ladder. Like maybe he was confusing like that scene in Jacob's Ladder or something. Um, and Night Train to Terror is the one I'm thinking of. That 80s yeah. slasher <laughs> anthology that we talked about because that's the train yeah, with God and Satan on the train to hell. So yeah, um, those are, those are the two that I thought of. I don't, you know. No, if those really fit his description, those just kind of like popped into my head. But right, there's our listeners have some thoughts on this. There's one called Hell Train for 1985, but that doesn't look like what he's describing. I don't as think far that's... As that goes. No, I don't think so either. What about you, Doctor Shock? What do you What do you have on this? No, I, I'm drawing a blank. I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm I don't know. Yeah, I'd be really just to see if uh, if any of the listeners can figure it out. Yeah, that's a great question, James. We'll work on it. And see if we can get it for you. All right. So before we close out, the final thing we got to do tonight on our Christmas episode. After all, it is a Christmas episode. So um, there should be presents. So let's give out a couple of uh, Christmas presents to people. Wolfman Josh, I believe we have some uh, horror ornaments to give away. Yeah, we have a couple of giveaways tonight from really awesome sponsors. So this first one comes from... Cryptocurium, we already gave away two of the slasher ornaments on the last show. And I believe we gave out Jason and Freddy, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Last last time. So this week it's Leatherface and Michael Myers. That's right. And so we need to find two people to give these to. There were some rules that we put in the show notes for the last episode on how to get these. They were retweeting and and following and stuff like that. And so, So I'm going to go to the Instagram and to the Twitter to find the people who we're going to draw amongst uh, those eligible. And so for the Cryptocurium, you had to follow us and Cryptocurium on either Instagram or Twitter and then repost our post. And so which one should we give away first, Jay? Let's do Leatherface first. So the winner of the Leatherface Christmas ornament from Cryptocurium from our Instagram entries is Lisa at Death Becomes Her on Instagram. So Lisa... Death Becomes Her, you are the winner of the Leatherface ornament. 
just give us a message there on Instagram and we will get your mailing address and ship that out to you. Thank you, Lisa, for yeah. checking us out and checking out Cryptocurum. And that's awesome. Congrats to Lisa. Okay. And who gets the shape? Michael Myers. Yeah, the shape Michael Myers will go to one of those who followed all of the rules over on Twitter. So we're heading over there and the winner of the Michael Myers ornament from Cryptocurium is Frank the Fiend at Tyrannus Genosif on Twitter. Sounds serious. Oh, I really get, did not get your Twitter name right, but Frank the Fiend, if you want to message us on Twitter, we will make sure you get your Cryptocurium Michael Myers Christmas ornament. Nice. Congrats to Frank. Giveaways. And I think one of those is a uh, Monster Squad pin, right? That's right. So for the Monster Squad pin, we will go back to Instagram. Now this is the, it's a Stephen King rules. It's the t-shirt that the main character in Monster Squad wears, but this is in pin form. So if that was convoluted enough that it makes sense, I will give one of those out now. <laughs> so we are also tired, apparently. <laughs> yes. And the winner of the Monster Squad pin, the Stephen King rules t-shirt pin, is Tiffany S. Nails Never Fails on Instagram. <laughs> nice. So congratulations, Tiffany. And message us again on Instagram, and we will send you uh, that pin. Monster Squad pin. Great. Congrats. Nice. And then we have one more very special giveaway on the Christmas episode. Tell them what it is, Wolfman Josh. This is from our sponsors at Fright Rags, who hooked us up with a really cool Fright Rags Krampus t-shirt. This is going to go out to one lucky winner who did all the things they needed to do to follow those rules. And um, we'll send that out to you. So going to the list of people here who entered correctly, about 100 entries here. Okay. We're going to flip through these. And the winner of the Fright Rags t-shirt is Mr. Quig. So that's <laughs> Quig. Is that Adam, Adam Quigley? Uh, Formerly so. of the Slash Film cast? No, I don't think so. This person is in Michigan. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. Mr. Quig. Okay. And Fright Rags is great. I have a few of their shirts. I really like their stuff. Yeah, it's cool. So congratulations to all our winners. If you were on Twitter, make sure you message us. Instagram, make sure you message us so we can get your addresses. And thank you so much to our sponsors, Cryptocurium and Fright Rags, for making these giveaways possible. It's really cool. And we're excited to hook people up with uh, the help of those kind folks. Definitely check them out. And they sell really cool stuff. Uh, both of them. Cryptocurium has their amazing parcel of terror where they have all these cool handmade things that are just really awesome. Like, like statues and placards and things that um, horror collectors uh, would really love. And um, Fright Rags, of course, just has a huge amount of awesome horror-themed t-shirts and socks they've got a whole krampus collection they've got like two or three different krampus shirts and krampus socks for sale um and all kinds of awesome other things there as well so well thank you all for participating there in our contest and guys i think that brings us to the end here of episode 107 our christmas horror edition of horror movie podcast here for 2016 we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this show let's move into our um, promotions here so i just want to encourage people to tune in in two weeks for our top 10 horror movies of 2016 show that's going to be released around friday january 6th so make sure you send in your submissions for your top 10 list before new year's day before january 1st 
And also check out moviepodcastweekly.com. We got our top 10 episode coming out soon, so you'll be able to check that out very soon. And the Center Realists podcast for the three-letter titles show, which is pretty cool. That'll be out on the 26th. That's all for me. What about you, Dr. Shock? Where do you tell them to go? Same as always. Go out to uh, dvdinfatuation.com. Still posting over there. Again, December's been a little choppy for me just because of work. Uh, but once January hits, I'm just going to keep going strong until I get to the end. Then uh, at DVD Infatuation on Twitter, I have a Facebook page. Just search for DVD Infatuation. And uh, listen to the Land of the Creeps uh, podcast uh, with uh, Greg Amortis, Jesse Robbins, and um, a special guest on our upcoming episode. Or a, I should say a returning host. Let's put it that way. Oh, cool. That's intriguing. Yeah. I wonder if it has the initials are HH. They may be. And not an Australian, but. No. <laughs> exactly. But a Southern man. I know who it is. That's Precisely. awesome. Yeah. All right. That sounds great. And what about you, Wolf Man Josh? Where can they check you out? Um, well, the thing I would like people to check out is our other Christmas shows. Because if we did not talk about your favorite Christmas horror movie, chances are we may already have on one of the previous year's shows. So um, check those out if you go to horrormoviepodcast.com and look at the sidebar. You'll see links to all three of our previous Christmas episodes. We've covered films like Silent Night, Deadly Night, Black Christmas, Krampus, Gremlins, uh, all kinds of great all the ones you would expect us to cover rare exports and it was a lot of fun those are like i said some of my favorite shows of the year so go back and listen to some of our ghosts of christmas past podcasts there uh, at horrormoviepodcast.com other than that i made a brief appearance on retro movie geek and talked about scream it is uh, this week the 20th anniversary of scream if you can believe that oh wow <laughs> and um, I went on Retro Movie Geek to talk about it, and uh, it was fun. I mean, I don't know that I said anything I didn't say on our franchise review here, but um, still had a good time talking to those guys. You can follow me on all social media at Icarus Arts. Not all, but, you know, some of them. Most of it. <laughs> and, of course, as always, we love your comments, so get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community and leave a comment in the show notes for episode 107 here and in fact you can leave a comment on any episode any of the previous shows and that actually shows up for us i mean people who are subscribed to horror movie podcast can see new comments so even if you comment back on episode one you know we'll know about it so that'd be great we'd love to have you there also you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com remember that is the method i would love for you to send in your top 10 list through email please you can also call and leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789 you can find our back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis at horrormoviepodcast.com you can subscribe free in itunes follow us on twitter at horrormoviecast I also want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find Fred at frederickingram.com. And I also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his help with the theme. He did a wonderful job. And we'll also have Kagan's site linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 107. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope you're assembling and compiling your top 10 lists because... That's what we're bringing to you next. So make sure you're here for episode 108 on January 6th for the top 10 horror movies of 2016. 
We thank you again for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>